Well, good evening, everybody. It's Kerry from the Whistle Stop Cafe, also known as the MLA candidate for Chestmere Strathmore, believe it or not, for the Independence Party. And uh, Chris is obviously not here, as uh, as he always doesn't show up on time. But uh, we are here with Vicki Bayford, and we're in at the Riverside Meadows Community Association. So this echo makes it sound like it's a really, really big hall, but there's about 20 of us here. So we're all just going to kind of have a little bit of a, a fun chat. And what I want to do is actually, because I'm using my laptop here, so if you guys are good for audio out there, just, uh, just you know, give me an okay thumbs up kind of thing. And then, oh, yeah, we're, it looks okay. Good. So we are here because um, we interviewed Catherine Kowalczuk yesterday, and she's running in uh, Old Didsbury Three Hills, uh, another constituation, or constituency association <laughs> in Red Deer, or in uh, in Alberta, and um, you know, there's a lot of in every constituency. There's 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 different things to be talking about. There's there's uh, uh, I know even in Strathmore, we were talking about uh, homeless yesterday. We were talking about some of the uh, the infrastructure that they have with Highway Number One going through there and uh, the side roads and. That sort of stuff, and of course, here in Red Deer, you're actually in a city, and so obviously there's some issues. So before we even get into that, and still waiting for Chris, let's uh, let's have a little conversation about about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a, a two minute elevator speech, and uh, we'll see what happens. Two minutes, okay. That's a long time to talk. It's, it's totally a long time. Okay. Well, I'm Vicki Bayford. I am running in the Red Deer North constituency for the Independence Party of Alberta. I am born and raised Albertan, actually fourth generation pretty much on all sides of my family. So um, all my great grandparents were settlers in this province and and kind of helped build this province. And uh, so I've always been a very proud Albertan and loved my home in, you know, it is a beautiful land. And obviously over the last couple of years, I've gotten to travel from one end to the other and east and west and it's been actually uh, quite a great experience to kind of see so much of the province over the last couple of years. But um, yeah, I have a mom. I have uh, two adult boys, um, 32 and 24, and they're I both... find that difficult to believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> and you know I do. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, they're both working, functional, great boys. And are they, yeah. are they both here in Alberta? Uh, no, actually, uh, my youngest son last year moved out to Vernon for some work. Uh, he does uh, steel stud uh, framing and drywall. And uh, so he got a big job out there in, in Vernon and Kelowna. And uh, that's where he is now. And then my older son, he's in Calgary. And uh, he's a foreman for a sheet metal shop. And and just, yeah, they're they're great boys. And can't be more proud of them. Um, also, what else? Oh, I've worked. Uh, I guess you want to know what I do. Well, what do you do? Do you just you just sit around and uh, eat chocolate bonbons and and uh, turn into a fat guy like uh, Chris Scott, who just showed up? Here? Well, How are you, doing, actually, buddy? you know, the ma the amount of that I sit in front of a computer sometimes. Uh, yeah, my my uh, butt has gotten yeah, a little that's, wider. That's... <laughs> As all all of ours has over the last three years. Yeah, but. Uh, what? Are you on? Are you on? Is it should is it be on? on? Is it on? You, is this live? This is live. We're live. Really? We're live. I'm We're on. live You're already. on time, like usual. Yeah, that's okay. You know what? That's okay. It was a long drive. Yeah, Smoky. I know. 
It was it very smoky. smoky. Yeah. We'll talk about that later too. So yeah. So I'll just kind of finish up. So um, career-wise, um, I actually had started my career um, in accounting. So I did my high school as an adult. I was a, I was a young mom. I kind of started early, at like fifteen, I think. I was when I had my first son, and uh, so I obviously dropped out of school um, in my teens. And then when I was nineteen, I decided that uh, you know if I'm gonna be able to support my kids, I have to you know, have more in the grade nine education. So I went back to school at 19, got my accounting certificate, and then uh, was kind of like a, a payables clerk and whatever. And I decided that accounting was going to be my path forward. So I was going for my CMA. So I was working full time, going to school part time for about three or four years. And I was about two thirds of the way done my, um, diploma program at Mount Royal College when I changed my path. So I was working in, in drilling and in, for a drilling company for about seven years while I was going to school at night and on the weekends. And one of the guys I worked with at the time, he was one of the salesmen at the drilling company I worked with said, oh, my buddy's looking for a drilling secretary. And I'm like, well, what do they do? And he goes, I don't know, but you'll probably be good at it. So so I, w I went for a job interview, had no idea really what I was doing. And I ended up working on the operator side. Um, you know, at the time, the title was called drilling secretary. They've obviously taken secretary out of our vocabulary now. So eventually, um, I became more like a regulatory specialist, analyst, consultant, whatever you want to call me now. But essentially, I just kind of worked my way through and I thought originally I was going to go for my CET and uh, get some more schooling behind me to kind of back up what I was already doing. But I found out like at SAIT, for example, um, it's a two-year full-time program. So I would have had to quit my job for two years, get, go back into debt with student loans that I was already still paying off from my accounting stuff. And I was, and it was it really wasn't affecting my ability to move forward. So I thought, no, I'm just going to keep working and, and keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I was lucky enough to actually get to build a career and just work hard. I tried to learn as much as I could. And, and uh, I got really specialized and, you know, I'm not going to toot my horn too bad, but own horn, but, uh, you know, I, you should toot it. You should absolutely. Yeah, well, toot it. but you know, I, you know, I ended up, you know, kind of being a, a wanted person in my industry. So it was kind of nice. So obviously it shows that even though you had some difficulty in the beginning, you did whatever it took to do and uh, became the woman that you are now, right? Yeah. Went to school and uh, raised your kids, kids great. And, um, and obviously, you know, Mr. Scott over here, he was also in the oil patch and, and did all that stuff. You can chime in anytime. Yes. You want there. Yes. That's <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Mr. Scott. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it shows that you're driven and that uh, you're, you're able to kind of think on your feet and be able to, uh, to, to pursue uh, and learn. Um, and, and that's kind of the point that I wanted to get across is that the people that are involved in the Independence Party are a total range of people. We've met A, a to Z, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm definitely a Z. Um, but 
it, it, it just shows to that, that if anybody really does have a passion for getting involved in politics and that they're, they're not happy with the way things have actually happened over the last few years, the independence party is more than welcome to say, come on and join, join our, join our group, join our political party. Well, and, and talking about that, I mean, even when I got involved, so I got involved with the party um, in 2020, probably it's almost been eight, three years now. I think it was June or July of 2020. And I, my mom told me about this party and I, and I actually was looking at also at the time at WIPA and uh, I'd called both just because I had questions. It was at the beginning of the lockdowns and I already had started have questioning what was going on. I'd broken my wrist, went to the hospital. It was empty. Anyway, I, I thought, well, this isn't right. I was already starting to go to rallies and uh, with 20 big group of 20 of us marching on elbow drive in Calgary every Saturday. And um, anyway, I just thought, well, this isn't enough. Like this is great for community. Like the rallies are great for building community and, and organizing and finding, you know, finding your tribe or for lack of a better term, but it wasn't enough and I wanted to do more. So I thought I'll get involved with the political party and I'll volunteer and I'll door knock and I'll make phone calls. And um, that's where I thought, because isn't that what a political party does? That's all they do. They just knock on door and then you go and vote every four years. That's and, it. And that's, that's, end and of that's story. it. And um, yeah, within three months, I was the CFO of the board and then I was the communications director. Um, I don't know, a year after that, I became leader of the party for a year. And then last year I decided to step down because I felt like there was room for, for someone else who really um, that could that could do what I really didn't want to do. I wasn't in my comfort zone as leader of the party. I, I, I felt like, um, I just couldn't, I did. I felt like my voice wasn't big enough to get people to know who we were. And that was, and I was really comfortable being a, a sort support person. Even in my career, I've always been the person in the background, pushing things forward, not the person in the front leading the charge. And, and so I wanted to go back to kind of, doing that. So um, after that, I ended up being the membership director and CA director. And um, is there yeah. a job you have not done on the board? Um, policy and strategy. Uh, yes, we <laughs> definitely still need a policy and uh, strategy, I believe. Yes. Um, so if anybody is out there and they uh, want to get involved, by all means, just go to abindependence.com and, uh, and, and say, I want to be policy director. <laughs> So you've given us a rundown on your history and kind of why you got into this, this uh, area of politics. So I, I asked another candidate this last night, and I'll ask you, what, what do you hope to accomplish? Like you said before, you didn't think your voice was big enough, and now you're basically applying for a job where you are the voice for 60-some-odd thousand people. So what do you hope to accomplish with your voice? Well, now that I feel like I have a little bit more confidence um, and, and, you know, really one, I really want to hear what the real issues are in this particular uh, constituency. Um, from the door knocking that we have done, one of the biggest things that I've found outside of cost of living, so outside of the economic concerns that I think everyone's feeling across this province, one of the biggest things um, that I've heard so far is um, the rise in crime and the lack of support um, from the police services in this particular constituency. So people would call 
you know, the police, like their house was broke. Like I talked to one lady, um, her house had been broken into two days before they stole her dog. She called 911 and, um, the police told her it was an emergency and, uh, you know, so she went had to go out, find, she did eventually get her dog back, which, you know, was good. But I mean, for me, my, you know, when I have a dog, like that's part of my family. If someone took my dog, you might as well take my kid. Like, so, I mean, it was, and I think, and generally overall, like there was a lot of the same feeling um, in that particular neighborhood was, was that it wasn't, you know, it's, they're not against the police. They just aren't feeling supported by the services and it's to, to them it feels like they're you know they're not working for the citizens of red deer they're working for the government well in in my experience i've seen that often the police are the henchmen of the government or government or, or government organizations so they don't have as much time to deal with stolen dogs and children as they should so i think what i just heard in way more words than i'm going to use is even though you, you, you know, you, you didn't think your voice was very big, but now you, you kind of found it, um, your ears may be more important. So would you, would you agree with me that anybody who's applying for this type of job where they're supposed to represent the people in this room and the people in this constituency, uh, that it's more important for them to listen to their constituents than it is for them to be speaking about what they want to do? Absolutely. And I think if anyone's going to be your representative, you are representing people. And I think that's one of the things that's been forgotten in politics. And I think one of my biggest frustrations and why I got involved myself, because, you know, no one was listening to me. I was emailing, I was phoning, and I wasn't getting the answers that I wanted to hear. They would cut and paste some cookie cutter answer and then and it didn't even answer my question so um you know i just i we need this system to be different and and these elected representatives need to be more accountable to the people that are sitting in this room to the people that are in this community and uh be a voice and and like you said it's it's it is about listening and it took me a long time like in my 20s I used to be one of those people that you know you'd be having a conversation with someone and I'd already be trying to think about what my response was to be rather than really actually listening to what they said and that was a skill I actually had to learn I actually had to learn how to stop caring about what my response was and start sitting back and 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 you know it, it was one of those things that I was lucky I learned when I did in my 20s because it was one of my best friends Sandy who called me out on it. She said, you know what? I, I can't stand talking to you right now because every time we're talking, you're not listening. You're, you're trying to think of your response. And I went, and it really took me aback. And it, you know, I really actually took it to heart and I, you know, practiced because it is, it's practice listening. And that's interesting that you said it like that, because I actually I, I know a lot of the, uh, some of the, not a lot, but some of the younger candidates that are coming up. Great that they're all in their twenties. You know, and they're all full of piss and vinegar Wait, and all that. Well, <laughs> full of piss and vinegar. But the problem is, is that they don't have the life experience to listen and to recognize what's, you know, you need that life experience of, of, of actually what has happened with. I've got so many experiences. Let me tell you about that. But 
with those experiences, I understand there are certain things that you should or should not do, human nature and, and all that. And even just uh, even the, the people that I've been talking to in, in the constituency, and never mind, just being at the whistle stop and people come in and they, they say hi and, and they want to tell their story. I'm totally fine with listening to their story because I think one of the things about the whistle stop is that it's such a, a, a great gathering place for someone to go to. And, and I, I've said this many times where we, I grew up in, in uh, Winnipeg and I moved out here in 96. So I'm definitely an Albertan. But we used to go to a, either the Woolworths um, uh, counter, the, the diner, or a Kresge. Do you remember Kresge? Do they even I'm have? I'm not Kresge? nearly as old as you. <laughs> and I remember sitting down, and I was this high, and I'm still this high, and um, and and talking. Well, people would come up and talk to me because I was such a cutie. I don't know what happened, but um, still a cutie. Uh, but they would talk to my parents like like they had known them forever, and I I would often say to them, well, "Who's that?" And they said, "Well, I don't know. We just met." Right. And that never happens unless you go to the whistle stop. You can't yeah, do it, that in a it, Denny's now. It happens there all the time. So if you're if you're listening to people and you're hearing what's important to them, like there's to be a leader, you also have to be able to tell like the folks in this room, like this is where I want to go. This is where I want us to go as a team. And you have to be able to you have to be able to encourage them to come with you. It's not about telling them what to do or making them do something or, you know, putting out a lottery so that they do something you want them to do or something like that. It's, it's being an effective leader. You have to encourage people to come with you because they can see that you're going to take them to that goal. So how do you, how do you translate what you hear from the folks that you're door knocking into, uh, into leadership to help them achieve the things that they want to see happen in government? Well, if I'm elected, you know, and I actually have that voice and that power, you know, and, the, and power in a good way, you know, power of the community, the people behind me supporting those policy changes, then, you know, you, you get in there and you get to work. I mean, that's what I do. I work and I work and I work until I get something done. Like I get on a project and I, and I don't stop. And, you know, it might, you know, some projects are going to take you five minutes and some projects are going to take you two or three years, but you know, you find those experts, you find those people that can actually come up with the solutions because I don't have all the answers all by myself. Maybe some of the people in the community have those answers and you know, whether it's hosting town halls in my own riding or whether it's, you know, like I said, finding actual um experts in those fields that that can help come up with those policies that we can put forward you know i with if i'm in real legislature and i can come up with those good policies i mean there's a lot of candidates in the past like independents even that have been able to push and and pass policy in legislature so you know that would be my ultimate goal is to, to find that but and obviously you know i'm i'm with the independence party and you know my ultimate goal and i think that obviously the people that join this party are in here because they want something different. So there's also, there's the community issues that we have to deal with, but then we also have to start taking steps towards um, independence and whatever I can do to support that goal. And whether it's baby steps or big steps, you know, I, you know, until I'm in there, I really don't know. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I'm going to promise you this and I'm going to promise you that because honestly, I've never sat in the chair in legislature. 
Well, let, let's take a specific issue and you brought it up and that's rising crime. So if you were an MLA for this area and your constituents were telling you that, you know, one of their top concerns is rising crime in the area, uh, what what would be the steps you would take to address that? And would you work with other political parties who are working towards the same goals uh, to, to accomplish the goals? Well, I'd have no choice. And I think that's important. And, you know, um, I think... You know, if, you know, where there's already talk about, you know, possibly changing out our police force or changing the way that we police. And if there's policies out there, whether, you know, it's the UCP, another independent, whatever, if I can work with like-minded people that at least share this goal, then yeah, why, of course I would work for the better of, of my, of the community, right? Like so Red Deer does not have a police service, right? They have they contract to the RCMP, so um, they don't have a, a city police. No. So, as a member of the Independence Party of Alberta, uh, you are willing and able to work with other MLAs in government to achieve the goals that everyone in the province wants to see. Absolutely. So you don't you don't have to be against them just because you're in another party, right? No, and actually, that's one of the things I'm the most sick of about. Like you know, I used to watch legislature you know while i was at work i would turn it on my phone and you know sometimes i'd have to turn it off but i really wanted to know what was going on and you know and so i would watch even the, the house commons i would turn it on and i would just i would get so mad because it would be like well you know i want to do this well just because you're on the other team um all of a sudden you get this backlash and and i think any representative in there, I don't care what party you're with, um, you need to learn to work together. I mean, I've worked in lots of companies. You know what? There's people I didn't like, and I had to work with them closely. And you know what? I made it work, and it, we got things done. Things stop when there's arguing. There's things don't move forward. And, you know, actually, that, that's one thing I actually have to say I like about myself is that uh, I get along with pretty much everybody. And again, I don't always necessarily, those people don't always necessarily like me and I don't necessarily like them, but something I've always been able to um, do is get things done and it, I do what it takes to get it done. Do you know what disappointed me the most about watching the House of Commons debates with the with Prime Minister Trudeau? They didn't play the circus music as he's elbowing ladies And I always thought they should do that because... Federal politics is an absolute circus. It, and that brings joke. up another another point. So, you know, you're with the Independence Party of Alberta. And obviously, most Albertans, they know, or at least they have a feeling that there's something wrong with the relationship between Alberta and Canada. So, let, let, getting more specific to the party policy and the mm -hmm. party platform, what is it about Alberta independence that you believe can help Albertans fix the things that they want to fix? It's actually... A really simple answer. It's not an, an easy job or or a short a short process, but I mean the the answer is actually rather simple. Our constitution is crap, and um, our eastern representatives don't even respect the constitution that we have or there are or our charter rights. And without having that constitution reopened and fixed, or without having an Alberta constitution that we can live by. There is only so much a provincial government can do. There's all this jurisdiction, and we literally have to 
chop off the arm of the federal government. I mean, I mean, I know I'm, I'm simplifying this, but, but really the core of the problem is our constitution. Um, so I would agree with you on most of that. I do disagree that the constitution's crap. I believe that the constitution and the charter rights and freedoms are good documents at face value. However, they're kind of skewed yes. so that Alberta's resources and the West resources benefit the East. That is true. What I think is wrong with the way Canada operates is that the folks that interpret those documents, for instance, judges and sometimes politicians and lawyers, um, we, we have this situation where activist judges and activist politicians and lawyers can interpret these documents in such a way that somebody like me can be made out to be a criminal simply for exercising my charter rights. Right? But this is where I think, and this is where we will disagree, I think the Constitution is crap because I have that notwithstanding clause. And they never really defined, you know, in a clear, concise way, or obviously not clear enough for activist judges to say when they can overstep those boundaries. And uh, so I, like, honestly, and one of the things, and you know what, I honestly didn't know this until reading Michael Wagner's books, was that we do not have property rights in Canada. We do not. And that shock the heck out of me and property rights don't just mean the land you own it means the things that you have in your house and this goes right down to gun ownership you know and and those types of issues so we don't have the right to defend something that we don't have the right to in the first place they purposely kept property rights out and it was pointed out by an activist or you know a lawyer here in alberta back i can't remember her name michael wagner explains the story much better than i do and I don't have a photographic memory, so I always forget names and things like that. <laughs> but anyway, um, he, you know, he explained that they purposely left that out. And I was, you know, when you do a lot of reading and you go into the research and the history um, of our constitution in 1982, when it was ratified, most of the provinces were not in favor. There were so many revisions and drafts and back and forth. But even at the end of the day, even though the provinces signed on, except for Quebec, um, they weren't really happy with it. Like You've, you've actually talked to Brian Peckford. Yeah. I was going to ask you. If I was just going to mention that. So have you ever heard of the Night of the Long Knives? No. So the, the story goes, the Night of the Long Knives, they, they sat up all night in the Hotel McDonald. Yeah. And, and they... They frantically got the constitution done and everyone to agree. Well, that was fake. That was all fake. It never happened like that. And uh, I, I spoke with Brian Peck. Sounds was, dra dramatic, but no, it didn't happen that yeah, way. Yeah, it didn't happen. But it's cool to think, it's cool to think yeah. that that fairy tale is true. Um, anyway, Brian Peckford explained to me a lot about what the constitution was intended to be. And the, the part of the constitution that's been bastardized to allow the things that are happening to happen is section one. And that's where it basically says, you know, you have these rights unless demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. So now you have interpretation. You're, you're the foundational documents of this country. The entire thing is hinged on one man or woman's interpretation of said document. So I've argued this before, and I've, I've spoke about this at, at many different meetings and rallies. In Canada, it is my opinion that we do not live in a free country. We live with the illusion of freedom. Because if, we, if we're if we free only when the government says we're free, we're not actually free. It's like 
if you live with your parents at home, you have the freedoms of maybe being a teenager, but have you ever heard the, the saying, as long as you're under my roof, I've said it <laughs> lots of times. And when my rules were no longer uh, appropriate for my children, well, they left the house. I don't believe that the rules that Alberta's living under within Confederation are appropriate for Albertans any longer. So if this is what we, we obviously I'm an independence-minded Albertan. You're an independence-minded Albertan. I can tell because it says independence right above you. Right on the sign. What would an Alberta constitution look like? And how would that constitution fix the, the major problems we have? Because you have to have something similar to Section 1 so that, you know, governments and courts could step in when it was needed. You have to have that in a society, in a society of our size. Right. And, um, but I, I do think certain things need to be defined very clearly and what they actually mean. So if you did have like some type of notwithstanding clause, you have to say literally, you know, acts of war, you know, like pandemics, real pandemics, um, you know, but you know, you, I, I just think that it has to be very specific if you have to have that clause in there. Although, you know, I, my personal belief, and this is this is me, and maybe lots of people might disagree with me. I don't necessarily think we need like we're, we're human beings. We've flourished for tens of thousands of years, you know. Without, you know, we've always had some type of overlord, kings and queens, and you know. I like that you said overlord. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but at the same time, you know, for the most part, I mean. There was a time where we didn't have written documents, right? We just knew how to live in the society we were in, and we chose to live in that society. And when we didn't like maybe necessarily the rules, like you said, even with our kids, we left. We, you know, you got brave and you went on, went on to a different route. You became a, a wanderer or a traveler, and you went and found a new village that you fit into. And um, and then again, I think that's one of the biggest things is that when we have when, when we create our own Alberta constitution, it really has to represent um, the values that Albertans decide on. I don't think that's something a, a small group of people can can decide. I, I do think, yeah, you know, to tell you the tr truth, um, the draft one um, that APP has, you know, it's a good start, right? And it actually includes things like land rights and you know, the things we should have already. The things, the things that we should have already and clearly defined. Um, you know, like one of the biggest things that I have like an issue with, with a lot of the things in our constitution, and I'm going to bring the Coots boys up in this conversation because, you know, I was reading, you know, when I was kind of looking into what was going on with them, because it obviously, it really bothers me um, that we have you know, basically political prisoners um, in in this province. It just, you know, I, I just can't imagine, you know, I, I know um, a couple of the moms, I know some of the family, and, it, like, it it breaks my heart to, to watch what they have to go through. I went to the bail hearing for, for Tony, and, you know, if, if you actually hear the words of, of the story that the the prosecution put forward and then you heard the defense. Um, it was disturbing because, you know, they basically, the prosecution 
made up this big fairy tale, tried to turn things, um, and this is my my perspective based on what I heard, because we were all standing outside listening uh, to what the prosecution did all morning. You know, they made up, to me, it was like this big made-up fairy tale about, you know, how dangerous these men were for using their voices and standing up for their rights. And then when you, and I actually, like, based on the story I only heard from the prosecution in the morning, I was like, holy crap, like, these guys might be dangerous, right? Like, you know, and then all of a sudden I heard the defense and, you know, the explanation to, to this weird, bizarre story that the, the prosecution really created. And I went, oh, my gosh. Wow. And this could happen to anyone. And I think that's one of the things that I think people have to realize. So anyway, I was going, sorry, I, I kind of went a little off track, but, um, but anyway, I was looking before, into, b before I forget, I want to point something out. The prosecution in the bail hearings literally said to the court, we don't have enough evidence yet. So we need to put this off so we can get more evidence. Yeah. And yet they need to stay in jail, even though we don't have the evidence yeah. to show yeah. that they should stay in jail. So this is not just a, you know, whatever they committed a crime, they should be in jail. This is a, they, the courts are not advocating for people, for the people that are before the courts. And those people are being uh, used as political pawns. Absolutely. And so part of the constitution in there actually talks about, you know, innocent before for proven guilty, the right to have bail, like to be released on bail or whatever, and actually to have a trial within a reasonable amount of time. Unless demonstrably justified in a exactly. free and democratic society. And this was where my problem was, is you know what's reasonable. So what it actually says, reasonable amount of time. And if they do not get a, court, uh, a, fair, a trial within a reasonable amount of time while they're being held in jail, then all their charges must be dropped and let free and they can never ever be charged with that crime again but the problem is like you said there the reasonable amount of time is not defined so who defines that and this is one of the things i was hoping our politicians would look at i mean it's right there like i you know i'm no genius but i mean i can look at that and say okay you know what, I, I can't interfere with the courts, but what I can do is put legislation forward, possibly, and, you know, maybe I'm out to lunch, but I, I don't think I'm that out to lunch. Why couldn't, you know, someone in the legislature define what a reasonable amount of time is? Why couldn't that like be a change in our courts? 18 months or something on it? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, of? eventually we can do that. Exactly. But when it's criminal code stuff. It's a federal thing. It's a federal thing, and we can't do that. But there is a solution. There, Vicky. What would be the solution if the federal uh, laws don't allow us to take care of our people and make sure that they're 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 given bail and they're they're innocent until proven guilty? What do we have to do? Referendum on independence. Oh, wow. yeah. look at that! See how it came around circle. There this you go. Independence yeah, yeah. keeps on coming. Up. I know, I know, I know. It's weird, but you know, and these and this is the thing. You know, like it, you know, I I we have to get that message out, and you know, win or lose this election. I mean, I'm not done. You know, I don't care if it means, you know, I've realized actually over the last three years, and you've probably come to realize possibly the same thing I have, is, you know, when we used to talk, we've had so many unity meetings 
with the smaller parties all trying to get together, all working together, da, 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 da. And, you know, I've, I've come to realize, and maybe I was naive before to think that, you know, we can all just be one big happy family, even in the freedom groups, right? Like the freedom groups, you know, there's a lot of division and splintering, but we can unify. It's just not the way it's not, it might not be under a banner. You know, one of the things I've come to realize is I can work with anybody and we all can, we, we have to make that choice sometimes to work with people we don't want to, or some people that we don't necessarily agree with everything on. But, you know, the independence party can work alongside, you know, a freedom group and we, you know, just communicating. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're helping with politics, but maybe they're being, you know, lobbyists or activists or whatever, pushing, you know, a certain path forward, or maybe another political party, maybe we come to some type of agreement. It doesn't mean that we're going to merge the parties or whatever, but we have to find ways to work together. And it may not be the way I originally had envisioned it. Like I really thought, you know, like I said, we could all just work as one big group, but you know what, like we're all, you know, we have very different ideas and very different paths but I still think we can work along e alongside each other in the same direction. So for example, let's say uh, May 29th comes around and we finally count all our votes and we end up with, you know, a minority UCP government and we have some independent uh, MLAs elected. We have some independence party MLAs elected. Those folks, and you know what? Even the... NDP. <laughs> you can't say it. Can't say it. Yeah, I should. I shouldn't. I shouldn't do that. But it, it's hard to say. Even NDP MLAs could work with any other MLAs. Particular policies for sure. Unified I mean, yeah. towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. And that common goal, in my opinion, should be ensuring the people in Alberta flourish and Alberta is prosperous. Now there are parties that don't want Alberta to prosper. But what I'm getting at is that when you you, you say that we're not going to have unity with everybody because that's just not the way it works. We're all different. We have different wants. We have different needs. But there are some things that we could focus on and unify around those things to accomplish them together. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, you know, like going... Up, so we had one debate here in, in Red Deer. Unfortunately, I you had to be... To be invited to that forum, you had to be nominated by... Um, May 1st, and I wasn't nominated by the party because I had things to do on the board still before and, I could and resign. That was, that was listed as an all-candidate. It was an all-candidate, so I tried to get myself Not invited. Really all-candidates, no. Yeah, I tried to get myself invited. They said no. So I was like, whatever. I'm still going. I wore my bright green Independence Party hat. I made sure that people would see me. And uh, But, you know, watching that debate and watching some of the other candidates' debates online and stuff like that, you know, it's a little, um, I, I hear the same message really coming from both parties, right? So it's like you said, like, if you guys really are aiming at the same thing, like, why aren't you working together? Because, you know, I mean, it did end up being, I'm going to say it, pissing match, um, you know, at the end on almost every debate that I've watched. But it, it, it's 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 foolishness because really, like I'm hearing the same thing out of an NDP and a UCP candidate, you know, arguing 
you know, and literally like the last one I went to, it was like, well, I spent $68 million on healthcare. Well, I spent $56 million on education. And, and like they're bragging about spending money that we provide to them, but not showing the results. And I think that actually is one of the biggest things that has to change in legislature period is the transparency. You're spending my dollars. I want to see where they went. Also, we need to get that money closer to the source of where it's coming from. And you need to have a say over how that money's spent. We need to decentralize our health care again. We actually didn't have centralized health care prior to 2009. HS was created in 2009. Prior to that, we had uh, regional health care all across the province. And it worked. And it worked. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. We had ambulances. I always had a family doctor. I did not have the issues. All of a sudden, they centralize. They create this bureaucracy, and we have almost zero health care. Like, I do not trust going to the doctors now. It's almost as if central planning is a disaster waiting to happen. It absolutely even, is. Even in politics. So one thing you said uh, scared me, though, Vicky. Are you talking about selling our hospitals? <laughs> selling our hospitals. I see That's, signs all over the I place see that the NDP if you don't saying, vote NDP, yeah, yeah. the government's going to sell the hospitals. Are you? Do you want to sell the hospitals? And if so, who are they getting sold to? And uh, how much are they? You know what? If we sell the hospitals, we are going to sell them back to the residents of the communities that they're serving. How about that? Wow. That is a very interesting answer. We had actually talked about that in the Crete. We have, yeah. yes, uh, with our, our yeah. friend Daniel Nagasian. Um, he, he actually had some really interesting insight into how the central planning in healthcare has been a complete disaster. Regional, regionally run institutions are always more effective because they're accountable to those regions, period. It's, uh, there's no time in history where central planning on that kind of scale has ever worked, except to benefit those who are the CEOs of said central planning organizations making 600 and some odd well, thousand dollars a year. And the thing with regional planning too, is they have to come up with their own budgets. They know what their needs are better than a central planner is going to know. Absolutely. They know their demographic. They know who's going to need help. They know what type of services are more popular. And it's the same with education. It's the same with our justice system. Like every single one of these key parts of our society have become this bureaucratic nightmare. And if we don't find a way to thin that out, and that's one of the things I would really like to be a big voice in, in that legislature for at the very least, because I think if we start decentralizing a lot of these things and put the say back into the citizens where they actually have to be active participants in what's going on in their community, it will encourage them to get more involved. And I'm not even saying necessarily in politics, but they'll have to understand more about what's going on if we're going to decentralize. It's going to put the responsibility back to the communities that they live in, and they're going to have to be far more accountable to those communities because it's your neighbors now. It's not somebody sitting in Edmonton that you have no idea who they are. And you say being the big voice. So obviously the big thing, little thing about the independence party is a small party. How many candidates for the independence party right now? 14. 14 out of 87, right? That's even if all 14 get in, somebody else is going to get more seats. Yeah. We're right? not, we're not going to, so, um, so what it, what would the Independence Party look like being that one or two or three voices? Well, they would have to negotiate with us regardless. Like, I mean, right now, I I don't take too much. Uh, I don't really like 
I don't really believe the polls as much as, as some people do. I, I don't put a whole lot of faith behind polling. I mean, I guess there's some messaging from that. But honestly, like right now they're saying, you know, they're kind of neck and neck. Danielle's slowly creeping ahead. The UCP is slowly creeping ahead in the polls right now. But regardless, let's just say only one of us wins or two or three, like you said. If we can win just that, that holds the balance of power. They are going to need our votes to get things through that legislature. And a lot of people are saying, you know, well, you know, we don't want to, we don't want an NDP government. Well, then don't vote for NDP. <laughs> I, it's, it's really easy. It, it's a really simple answer. Vote for but, someone but, who's going to help you and get you further down the goals that you want to see happen. But Vicki, what about vote splitting? That happened before and we can't have it happen again. <laughs> Well, I remember when that happened, and uh, yeah, it was it was a disaster. Um, it was a different climate when that happened too. But it was a different. It, the world was a way different place, and you know you have to go back and remember what what the PCs were doing at the time. They were stealing from the citizens. They got busted stealing from us all over the place. They had the cronyism, the everything you know it just became really apparent what they were doing and so you know like people just wanted something different and again because we kind of in this mentality of this two-party system and not even at that time voting looking really at who we were voting for we just voted the opposite of what we normally voted that was a complete in my personal opinion that was a complete fluke that the ndp ever got voted it in was an product. accident it was That's an accident like and, it, and federally for sure that this this flip-flop happens all the time we go blue and then we go red and then we go blue hopefully we never go orange and then we go red right and the same thing is basically gonna probably end up happening in uh in alberta over another period of time so the issue now of course is that we want to get at least some people in and form a strong opposition because even as it is right now there is no opposition the only opposition we have right now are Rachel Notley, and she's just complaining and bitching. She's not even offering constructive criticism. But if you had, you know, maybe an independent person, an independence party person, maybe another party in there as well. I mean, there's no reason why. If As long as you're able to form caucus so that you can actually get into the legislature and, and, and vote and, and, well, you can do that anyways. But essentially, well, we, we talked about caucus yesterday, right? So... Um, I think it's important to at least have um, a, a strong vocal minority group to keep the balance of power. Yeah, and that's what this is about. And and again, I still think we need to start directing, you know, Albertans uh, to start being a little bit more self-accountable and and getting involved and it doesn't mean you have to run in a party it doesn't even mean you have to necessarily volunteer for a political party but at least educate yourself about the system how it actually works and i and uh you know we do have educational groups out there that i hope after the election will continue um to go out there and you know explain what a constituency association is explain how the actual system is set up right now because that's the system we're in would i like to change that system yeah one day but it's step by step and whatever we can do to push forward towards that ultimate goal that we want independence um 
you know, we, we still have to let people know where they're at and, and what steps we can do right now, whether they're little or whether they're big to move things forward. I, I did want to get just back to the vote splitting thing because it was something I was going to mention last night and, and never did. So there are certain ridings, constituencies in Alberta in which it, it really is 50-50, right? And there is a chart you've probably seen. It looks like a board game. Looks I have like, seen it. You've seen that. And even the riding that I'm in, which Chestermere Strathmore, is definitely on the top row. We're just off and it's blue. It's like it's solid UCP, always has been, always will be. And looking back in the, the last three votes, it has been between 70 and 80% conservative and then roughly, say, 15% NDP and 5% independent, that sort of thing. And, and when I've had conversations with, with people about my particular riding, it's like, you know, all I'm really trying to do is just get my foot in the door to, to cause a little bit of a ruckus so that people say, well, you know, we're just tired of having this, this two-tier system. I'm not going in there with rose-colored glasses expecting to be able to cut that 70% UCP down to 35%. But even if I did, you guys watching, even if I did, that still means that there's 35% that is still probably going to vote for UCP and only 20% will vote for NDP. There is no vote split. Now, having said that about my writing, what is yours? Just well, it is a little bit more urban, so it's a little closer than that, but it's actually not close enough to vote split here. Like, I mean, you, you go door to door. I mean, it's still very, very conservative in Red Deer. Um, you know, and I, I don't see that changing in this election anyway. And if anything, hopefully it goes green. You know, I mean, that's... Green that's, is good. Green's a good color. Green, green, big, bright, green fluorescent holds green. Green the balance of power in British Columbia. I know. Yes, yes, but we'll be a different type of green. <laughs> and, wow. you know, and actually that's one thing, you know, it's funny, you know, um, I was I was talking to the uh, candidate. Well, we, we have our candidates meeting every week and we all kind of try to collaborate on different ideas and ways that the we candidates can. Candidates with the Independence Party. Yeah, with the yeah. Independence Party, we try to kind of collaborate and, you know, bounce ideas off each other so we can try to get the awareness out there about who we are. And one of the comments that came up, I think it wasn't this last meeting, but maybe, maybe the meeting before, and they said, you know, there's so many orange signs and it's scaring people. And it's not because that many people are supporting the NDP. They just don't have the same bylaws um, in that specific area. So you can put like a million signs. So if you have an unlimited budget or a big budget that you can basically spend the max union back budget. Yeah. You can buy all the signs you want and you can plaster them from here to there. And then it looks like, Oh my gosh, the NDP supported. It's it's interesting because of course in my area, it's uh, I'm, two counties i'm rocky view and uh Weedland, right and you go on and you read their bylaws and they're basically just like you know stay 10 feet away from the road or whatever the the, the terminology was and so it's pretty straightforward but in your writing you actually are dictated to where you can actually put a sign i can actually on, on public property i can only put up 38 signs total and it's only one sign per candidate which i actually like it yeah, yeah. it's very that fair that way you don't have a thousand you know, and no, it's right. like, so, you know, you have your 38 designated areas that you can put up a, a sign publicly, but I still encourage everyone that doesn't have a lawn sign to get one because, you know, even psychologically, like I said, these signs affect people. They think that, you know, whatever. So the more signs that, uh, 
If there's more we can orange get signs, out there. it looks like, oh, no. But, it's yeah. like, wow, the Independence Party's doing Green something. We're there. And people places. might even ask, who is the Independence Party? Because yeah. it still was, I walked into the store the other day when I was uh, over at Pauline, Pauline's house the other day. I went over to the store and I had my Independence Party shirt on. And I was just going in uh, to buy something. And so I didn't bring my purse. I just brought my bank card. And then I didn't have anything with me because I was just walked over. And the lady goes, Independence Party, what's that? And then we end up having this great 20-minute conversation. She said, do you have information? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get you something. So I had to, like, go back. And then I went back later and, and dropped off a little a package. pamphlet in your back Always. Pocket. So now that's my new rule. I can't leave anywhere without information about the party. That's probably a good idea. So unless there's anything else that you want to mention about the vote splitting thing, yeah. uh, I want to wrap this up with a thought. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, actually, what I was going to do is actually look at some of the questions. Well, well I meant just wrap up that portion. That portion. Yes. Oh, good. No, yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, put my. I just wouldn't do that. <laughs> so having this two-party system is dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's We've one seen extreme. it in the states. We have. Yes. Yeah. It's one extreme or the other. And if you don't fit into one mold, you have to fit in the other mold. And personally, I feel like I didn't really fit in anywhere, yeah. right? That's just, and I'm sure there's more people out there like me. In other countries, they have governments that consist of multiple parties. I spent some time in Holland. You know, their federal politics, they have like 12 or some ridiculous, 14 parties yeah. in government. Yeah. And it forces them to work together to some degree and to oppose to some degree. And they get a much more balanced government. What it does if you have three parties or four parties, it tempers tyrannical parties yeah. and it incur and it lifts up the smaller parties, right? So I, I hate to say it, but even the NDP was good to be in the legislature because they did point out some stuff that the conservative government needed to change and they did change it. They actually worked together somehow by some miracle and they made better policy. And I don't agree with 99% of what the NDP want to do, but I will concede that it's important that their voice is there because there's Albertans that that's what they want, that's right. right? So I would love to see three three parties and some independents in the government this May. That, that would, I think that would benefit Alberta tremendously Absolutely. and it would the benefit far, far outweighs the risk of any kind of a vote split across the province right. in, in some sort of an accidental ideological government being elected again. So uh, you said you wanted to move on to some questions? Well, I was, I was yeah. Is there I questions? Would, People well, ask well, questions. We're going to actually We're going to start the, with the questions in here. The for live sure. questions The live first. questions, and then we'll get to the questions that people have asked in the uh, in the comments. Is it, Anybody have any questions? There must be at least one question. Come on, one question. Yes, go ahead. So the, the question was, what about the drug problem? Probably locally, as well as in the world or, or maybe in Canada. What do you, what do you think? Uh, can the Independence Party do anything about that? Well, I mean, obviously, we have to come out with policies. But, you know, a lot of this has to do with um, our rights um, as, as citizens and the accountability that, one, we, that we put on ourselves, but, two, that you know, that there's facilities and places that people can actually go um, to get better. And and I will, I'm not going to go too much into it, but, you know, like uh, my son, when he was young, he was went through some stuff and uh, got into some drugs. Um, I've had my own small battle um, when I was younger. And um, 
you know, the, the hard thing was, is, you know, when we're dealing a lot of times drug and alcohol abuse stems, it, it's a symptom of something else. People don't just start doing drugs. Usually there's, you know, other issues, um, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, things like that, that usually are, are what, what causes the drug abuse in the first place. And I think we really have to start building policies within our schools, within our communities, that we can capture people when they're younger and help them grow into healthy human beings as they get older. Now, we already have problems, like you said, um, with drugs um, everywhere. And we have to have facilities that can actually help dry people out, get them the counseling that they need. And these, these programs actually have to have results. Like, you know, we can't just start throwing money at all these problems. We actually have to have things at the end where you can show solid results that these, these programs are working because, you know, what's the pro point of having a program when people are just leaving and then starting again. Obviously that's not a successful program. And there are a lot of, and there's different methods depending on different programs that could be available depending on even the drugs. I mean, how they affect you psychologically, how they affect you physically. Like, there's, it, it's a huge issue, but we, ha we have to find places and people have to start, you know, looking out for, their communities again, you know, I mean, we've been taught now, ignore it, don't look at it, just, you know, let the government deal with it. No, this is up to us. And I'm, I'm talking about being accountable to your own kids, to your nephews, to your nieces, to your grandkids, you know, step in, say something, you know, I, I like what you said there, you said something about not the government, but it's us. So I'll, I'll point something out and correct me if I'm wrong. It's the government's job to regulate and legislate, mm -hmm. right? It is not the government's job to tell you that you can or can't do drugs. It's not the government's job to, to tell you that you can do anything to your body. It's their job to make sure that there's regulation and legislation that protects us and benefits as best they can. So what I want to see from elected representatives is I want to see the reg regulation and the legislation give us the tools we need to repair that stuff ourselves because this is a very broad societal issue mm -hmm. right there's government issues there's society issues and i think the two get conflated way too often these days and societal issues are largely blamed on the government the issues we're seeing with uh with increased crime and in increased increased drug drug use these are symptoms of a much much deeper problem and that problem is people not believing in themselves anymore the government you've seen that we've talked about this the government is giving people this impression that they need the government to take care of them and tell them what to do and protect them. But that's not it at all. And I want to see representatives that um, get out of society's lane and into government lane mm -hmm. and maybe even go so far as to try and regulate and legislate to remove the stigma associated with drug use, because that's a big problem. If somebody wants to do drugs, whose business is that but theirs, unless it's affecting other people, right? But how many times have you driven downtown and you see people shooting up behind a dumpster? Do you see those people as human beings? Yes. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. I'm guilty of it. I see people today. We saw somebody standing on the, on the middle of the street with a sign that said, homeless, I need money. And the first thing that pops in my head is, is it real? 
does he really need money or is this just is he just trying to score a fix you know this is a very it's a very deep societal issue and and if we can get a government and and legislators that allow us to do our job as society and get the hell out of our way we can start to deal with those things but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be the government that does it just like and it's not going to be overnight and you know like because i mean like my, my own personal situation with my son when he was young was i had no ability so when he was young and still under my care and control um there was no ability for me as a parent to make that choice for him because I'm his parent. I'm sorry. And, you know, under the law, he couldn't get a tattoo before he was 18 without my signature. He couldn't go to the bar and drink without my, you know, or with, with at all because it's illegal. He, you know, there were certain things under 18 he couldn't do and was told that until he's 18, he's under my care and control. Obviously, you know, uh, he's my child. I, I want to do that for him. But at the same time, when I had problems, and I looked for solutions to help me and support me through that, there was nothing. They told me I had no rights as a parent to put him into a program that would help him while he was still young and, and able to, you know, he wasn't making good decisions for himself. And it's my job as a parent to help him make those better decisions when he's young. And there was nothing. Um, I went to the youth ADAC program. They, they, they got me to go to parenting programs. And really it was a, a round circle with a counselor that was probably 22 years old. And it was a bitch session about whose kids was worse than the others. And there was no real solutions. There was no real counseling even for me as a parent. I'm sitting there looking for answers going, what do I do? And there was nothing. And essentially, eventually I was told um, you know, there was like these 10 day dry out programs. You can go to court, have your kid removed for 10 days just so that they could get away from it for 10 days. But then they're out and they're home again. I couldn't put him into a locked in facility. And that is what he needed. He needed severe counseling at the time and he needed to be uh, separated from, from what he was doing at the time, but there was nothing available publicly. I could pay 10000 I was ready to pull out all the RSPs that I had to pay $10,000 a month to put him in a private care program. And, you know, um, his dad did, you know, kind of help out as far as kind of took him for a few weeks and, you know, whatever. And we, you know, but I mean, still, it was a struggle. I never really got the full help I needed. And, and essentially, my son had to, as an adult, decide what he wanted to do. I mean, really, at the end of the day, when he was an adult, he was still kind of doing some, you know, things got a little bit better. I had to actually kick him out for a year when he was 16. And and uh, that was a pretty tough decision. You know, you don't because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You have no control now. I've put him out. Maybe he's going to get worse. Maybe he's going to get better. In, in in my case, I was lucky. He, You know, he smartened up, you know, and it was a lot of tough love. But he decided to make that decision and he had, and then when he was 18, you know, he was still kind of getting into a little bit of trouble. And, uh, you know, essentially I was told, I think when he was 14, that if I turned him over to be a ward of the state, if the government can control him, they could put him into the programs that I could not. So with that said, what back then, what 
would you like to see available to people now that are in your situation? What what could the government legislate or regulate to help people in that situation today? Well, if they're going to have programs like that, that, that are actually available to children that want to volunteer for that. Uh, but you know what? What they could legislate is that parents have the rights over their children until they're 18 years old. Parents do not have rights over their children right now. We have to fight for legislation that prote protects parental rights. And there's that's a huge gamut. It's not just for issues like that. I mean, but we do not have actual legal rights over our children. They tell us we do, but we really don't. So you want to see parents have individual rights over their children and the government supplying the resources and tools that parents can access to get their kids help when they need it. Exactly. So I wonder why we don't have that now. Well, we do have a $10 a day daycare. So if you want to have both parents working, what? if both parents want to work, then you can just sh shuffle your kid off to daycare, let the government and the structure deal with the kid for $10 a day. Just think of that. What's the age limit on the kids? Uh, 36. <laughs> That's actually, actually not that far from that. the truth anymore. Yeah. When I, when I heard that, I was, I was quite skeptical on that because there's, there's both ways, right? So it's great. It's $10 healthcare. And again, this is a federal thing. This isn't a provincial thing, but they all kind of relate back, right? So $10 a day healthcare and it's like healthcare health. Is that what I said? No, daycare. Well, technically daycare. And, uh, but again, what's, the, what's the root problem? Well, I had a difficult choice to make, uh, back when my daughters were two and one or no three and one. Um, do we enroll them in daycare or do we do one of us stay home? So it worked out that I would, could actually stay home. So I was the daddy, I was the daddy daycare for 18 years. So how about imagine if two parents didn't have to work full time Yes, absolutely. and earn an income and pay 65% of what yes. they make to support government bureaucracy, exactly. then we wouldn't need $10 a day daycare that's, that's right. managed by bureaucracy that also takes a cut. Yeah. Um, and the parents, imagine that the parents could raise their kids. Yes. One parent could win the bread. The other parents could ra parent you know, raise back the in, kid. Back in the 1950s, when you look at that, everybody had a car, everybody had a house, everybody, you know. No, but everybody was racist and they ate bad food. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> so th th that's a situation where, um, would you agree that if the government removed themselves from people's lives and got their hands out of their pockets, that maybe individuals could do the things they need to do to fix these problems or prevent them in the first place. Well, yes, absolutely. And I think it would force us to step up. I'll give you even another personal example with that. You know, when I was 15, I was a mom. And, and when I, I moved out when I was 16, just shortly after my son was born. And this was during the Klein era. So I don't know if you remember that, but he cut back all social services. Like everything was like, whatever it was almost impossible unless you knew how to work the system to be on social services and you know i was a young mom I, it's not that i wanted to you know stay in the system i mean i was in the system like why not like social services i was i was raised by my mom and, and my dad separately you know they divorced but um but you know like i grew up a little bit on welfare and uh so it was it was normal for me, right? Like it wasn't abnormal for me. And so I had lost my job um, at one point. Um, and so I went to social services. And again, this is during the Klein era. 
And they basically handed me a book of bus tickets and said, okay, well, go find a job and we're not helping you. And, but you know what? Um, I ended up pretty successful. And, you know, love. possibly, you know, had social services or the government stepped in at that point to hold my hand through everything, I might not have did what I had to do. I had no other choice. I had a child to feed. So, you know, I, you know, at the time, obviously I was upset and I was like stressed and I was like, how am I going to, you know, do this? But guess who I had to depend on? My family and my community. And they helped me through until I got another job. And it was, I was one of those stubborn kids. I didn't want to ask for help, but I had to, I had no choice because you have to, you have to, so, you know, I went back to the people that could help me. And, and honestly, like, you know, you, you can't raise like I don't care if you're a single mom, if you're, you know, mom and a dad, like a n- normal family or whatever, you cannot raise a child in any society, in any time era without a community. I mean, it's never done alone. And uh, I think we just have to get back um, to those community roots. I agree. Is there any other questions or any new questions about uh, yep, the answers? Yep, go ahead. I read um, Ottawa spends 9000 per person per year for health care. So Ottawa sends the money to Alberta, right? They say, here's some money, yeah. heal everybody. Okay, what, what happens then? Like when, when the money gets here, what happens? Does, does the province also put in money too? Or, or what, what's the involvement? Yeah. I, have, I have another question to go with that. Did you notice a while ago, recently uh, Trudeau sent the provinces some healthcare money? Yes. They said, okay, you know, give us some data. Here's your money, you know. and. And then I saw on the news some of the Alberta citizens went to a clinic. You've got to get your leg fixed or something like that. You pay for it yourself. Yeah. And I think it was about five hundred million. They, they, it, it was about five hundred million that was. They, they caught that. Ottawa caught that and said, "Oh, Albertans, five, spent five hundred million." of your own money getting better. We're taking 500 million back. What, what, what do you think of that? Okay, so your first question was regarding federal health transfer payments back to the province. That's correct? right, yeah. Yeah, so, so what is the problem? So when they get, when the province gets the money, what do they do? They, they obviously spend the money. Right, do okay. they put the money into their own or, or? Sure, I can answer that. Okay, so the way it works under the constitution is that um, the, the provinces contribute to the federal government coffers via equalization payments. Alberta contributes how much, Vicky? It's a lot. 60, 60 million, 60. and then we get uh, 27 It's It's about billion. 60 yeah. billion that billion. goes to Ottawa, and 27 billion comes back. Part of that is federal health transfer payments. So under the Constitution, the federal government is responsible to provide funding for infrastructure for health care. The provinces are responsible for administering healthcare. So they contract a company like AHS to administer. So the federal government, they give us back our own money. 
they're not giving us federal money. They're not giving us any provinces money. They're giving us roughly 50% of our own money that we contribute to Confederation back so that we can administer services. And then so, that sinks into a black hole of EHS. Absolutely, it does. It's it's one of the it's a bureaucracy problem. It's not a money problem. It's not a budget problem. It's a bureaucracy problem. As bad as the healthcare is here, you read about a poorer province, like one of the maritime provinces, people dying in the waiting room. There's no doctors or nurses or ambulance or anything to keep the hospital. Going. Let me let me answer that second question before you get into that, because this this part of the question will help with that this next question. So you were talking about uh, the federal government saying they want this $500 million, however much it was back, because we spent it privately. So we've had private health care options in Alberta for 30 years. This is nothing new. You have always been able to go and seek out your own non-publicly funded health care as long as they um, follow the rules under our, our Alberta Health Services, or uh, pardon me, Alberta Health. So that's nothing new. It's always happened. Uh, the, the, the money that the federal government gave the provinces the extra money, and you're probably referring to the $1.5 billion, that's a bribe. So the federal government consistently and constantly bribes the provinces with our own money in order to infringe on the province's sovereign jurisdiction. For instance, I, I mentioned that the provinces are responsible for administering health care. We have a right to administer our own health care under the Constitution. The federal government says, well, we want to get our fingers in your administration of health care via a federal health ID. So we'll only give you your money back that we have to give you anyway under the Constitution if you give up some of your rights for your own safety. So and that, this that's is how why that exactly why even some of the smaller steps that our provincial government could take right now to get us onto a path of more independence is to be collecting our taxes here. Bingo. Yeah, we, we shouldn't be giving our, our money that we're supposed to use for healthcare to the federal government and then begging for it back, right? And the other provinces, th that's not limited to Eastern Canada. Every single province has had people dying in the waiting rooms. Every single province in this country, our healthcare is in the lowest quartile of quality and the highest quartile of cost. Yeah, and go up to the northern, like the northern part of this province. There's hospitals shutting down. Sometimes they're only open one or two days a week. Sometimes, like if you're in Peace River, sometimes you have to go to a hospital like a hundred miles away. So don't get sick on a Sunday at noon or something. Yeah. No, it it really is. It is that bad, and it is. It, it's not just the poorer provinces. It is happening right here, and we spend actually the most, I think, per capita per person in this 22 province. Twenty-two billion dollars per year. Four thousand eight hundred eighty-six dollars per year for each man, woman, and child in Alberta. And that means, and we're getting put some of the poorest care. You know, like, uh, I've been through a, a whole lot of, like, medical tests. They thought I had cancer. I, I don't. That's good, I That's guess. Good, yeah. But I, they spent about a year testing me. And, like, she'd have to go to the, to the uh, doctor with me because I said, why in the hell do you have to be so mean? Yeah. How would you propose to solve that problem? I mean, right now in Alberta, we have one option for administration of healthcare. We go to an Alberta Health Services facility. And if we have a bad experience there, you know what they say to us? Tough titties. Yeah. yeah. You know, how would you solve that problem? Well, again, this, this still leads down to uh, getting our jurisdiction back. One, we have to claim the jurisdiction we already have. 
And two, we still have to head down that path of independence with those constitutional changes because we cannot change the Canada Health laws and we can't change the jurisdiction of the federal government over our care. What we can do, though, what we can do right now is clean up that bureaucracy, decentralize our health care, get us back to more community-based service. That's something we have in our power right now. We can start collecting our taxes here right now and holding our money back and not begging for it back. We don't have to send it east and beg for it back to come back west. We can collect it here. We have that jurisdiction. you know. And, and Quebec does that as well. And Quebec already does this. This is not unprecedented. And it is constitutional. And it yes. is constitutional. And so, like I said, there's so many things. I mean, and I guess that's where I get frustrated. And especially now that I, I can see the solution so clearly, um, I get really frustrated because I don't see the politicians pushing for these things. And even when they hint at it, you know, like Daniel Smith has hinted at a few things like our own police force collecting CPP here. Um, things like that. And of course, the NDP is turning it into a really ugly thing. No, those are good steps forward. We need to do those things. And even with CPP, you know, go, go into CPP. You know what? We send our money there. They're using that money. They're not They're not investing your CPP money. When you're paying into CPP, they're not investing it. It's not sitting in a in a fund growing. They're using it. They're spending that. There's no money there. So if we actually started collecting it here, that would give us the opportunity to invest that money in Alberta, whatever. And programs here as well. And are you talking about an Alberta pension plan? An Alberta pension plan. But Vicky, why are you talking about having everybody lose their Canada pension plan? <laughs> because the Alberta pension plan would pay you more. But even the CPP, if I, if I move to France, my CPP finds me eventually. Yeah. Right? So... So on, on that note, I just want to point out that yeah. any of these things Vicky's talking about, whether it be collecting our own taxes, funding our own CPP, um, having our own health health spending um, uh, uh, account, or, account or, yeah. or no, not account, but our, our own health spending pool that we don't send all oh, yes. one bank yeah, for yeah. back. Yeah. None of these things impact the level of service or what you get from CPP right now. Yeah. If Alberta tomorrow said we are not contributing to the CPP anymore, we are going to have an Alberta pension plan, which yeah. also be APP. APP, yeah. weird. And <laughs> and we're going to, instead of sending, uh, I, I don't remember the, what the exact numbers are, but Alberta overfunds CPP by $3 billion per year. That's right. So and that $3 billion basically just goes to the coffers of people it, it in Ottawa, the bureaucracy, bureaucracy of that. Now, if it went to other provinces and other pensioners to balance out uh, Confederation, None of us would probably have an issue with that That's, because none that of was, us mind. We don't mind helping our friends and neighbors in different provinces. That's not the issue. The issue is what Vicky said and what Carrie said, that that money isn't used for our benefit. It's used yeah. to support a bloated and irresponsible, unaccountable, unaccountable bureaucracy. So tomorrow, Alberta has an Alberta pension plan. We start contributing to it. You still get your CPP because you've contributed to it. You yeah. already own it. Yeah. What the NDP says about all these things... Uh, are going to cause you problems or take things away from you is absolutely 100% patently false and outright bold-faced lies. It's a lie. Absolute lie. And if we actually were collecting it here, that means we could invest it here and and actually bring a profit. There is no profit to the CPP fund. Like I said, they are they are using that money for their own 
benefit. And we have no say. We have to get our money back here. So we have a say on how it's spent and how it's used. If you have a financial planner managing your retirement fund and they consistently lose you money on your retirement fund, what do you do with that financial planner? You fire them. If you contribute to CPP and they consistently lose you money on your investment, you fire them and you do something different, which would be the Alberta pension plan, which is one of the things on the Independence Party of Alberta's platform, which I absolutely love because I'm rapidly approaching really retirement tired. age. Yeah, I would like yeah. to retire one day. Yeah, right. And and just to put it in perspective, that three billion dollars per year that would actually sit in here, you could build an arena every year. Or a hospital. Or a hospital. I said arena because that's Imagine about you, what the cost is going to end up being in Calgary. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. But I do want to point out there is a bunch of misinformation about that as well. Yeah. So even if the so let's let's say for instance the Independence Party was the the majority government in Alberta right now, and Calgary wanted to build this arena, so there's separation of responsibilities within yes. municipal and provincial government. So the municipal government and the the owner of the teams and the, the financial beneficiaries of the project. Yeah. So the guys that own the arena that make the money, they're responsible for building the arena. If they're going to build the arena and put that money out, they expect the municipality in, in cooperation with the province to build the infrastructure that supports That's that right. arena. That's right. So the, the provincial government has said, yes, we will do these changes. We will put this money into this area to accommodate this uh uh, arena that you want to put in so they're not buying the arena you know and i would expect that the independence party of alberta if they were the government that they would support these initiatives as well if edmonton's going to build a new hospital and they need to do massive upgrades to the infrastructure around it i would expect the provincial government to step up and do it yeah. and well and they're doing that here in red deer right now and they are doing that here in red deer and that's one thing that i also like about the independence party is that they uh, are committed to working with municipalities in order to accomplish the goals that we want to see very good. So I don't know. Do, we, I, do we want to do we want to take questions online or? Yeah. Why don't what, I'm going to quickly? I, I know I can't read it either. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to go off the screen here. So, again, thank you so much for spending the uh, the evening with us here. Uh, we're about an hour and a half in, and uh, let's just quickly go through here. What's he doing now? Oh, there he goes. Rabbit ears. I missed that. Nobody can see it anyway. All they can see is my really red tan. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, it's definitely sun. No, it's a tan. It's a red tan. You match your car. I do match. Red's his favorite color. My van's red. Yeah. My eyes are red. Um, how about the How about the doctors get a fine for prescribing the darn op opioids? Actually, I'm going to post that one. How about the doctors get a fine for prescribing the darn op opioids? And of course, the pharmacy. And again, I think that is a, a is a very loaded question. And it had to do with uh, what was probably happening in BC in terms of uh, giving uh, pharmaceuticals or, and, and drugs back to... Oh, you don't want to go there? <laughs> well, well, then by all means, you can... <laughs> Okay, Vicky's okay. good. Well, you, you can you can chime in if you if you feel the need. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that up there, and then I'm gonna start um, a couple of other ones. Well, you know, I, I do think doctors do have to be responsible when they are are prescribing dangerous drugs, and 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 don't fool yourself. Opioids are dangerous drugs, and it doesn't matter if you're prescribing them or not. Um, they're addictive, very addictive. Uh, they affect your body in a very negative way. 
So I almost feel like it is one of those things that we have to start looking at alternative means for treating pain, for treating certain things. Sometimes maybe um, there are circumstances where it's necessary for a short period of time, but um, I can tell you um, over a long period of time, I've never seen good outcomes um, from opioid prescriptions. Now, you know, it, it is a, it is a hard subject because, you know, you know, if, if you know people with chronic pain um, and if that's the only thing that's looking after it for them or that's the only solution they're given. Sure, I should say that because I do feel like there's always alternative methods, um, but it's things that we in Western medicine don't really look at. We look at pharma and, and that's it. But, um, you know, my aunt um, had a had a, an autoimmune disease that caused her a lot of pain um, pretty much her whole life. And uh, so when the doctor realized that she was starting to abuse it, and this is after years, she'd been on opioids for a lot of years, um, she had started um, uh, abusing them. And instead of kind of treating her, bringing her down, they just cut her off. And um, I think within a month, uh, she jumped out a window and uh, killed herself. And, um, you know, and this is, you know, obviously when you're living in that type of pain and, you, you know, you, you've become a drug addict now, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but suicide's really common. And I think doctors do have to be responsible um, with those types of drugs. I agree. Now, I want to point something out. Uh, heroin is an opioid. And the reason why it's called heroin is because it was a heroin. In, in wartime, I mean, if you, you have a limb blown off, you want opioids. There are times when it's necessary. Things happen, uh, we get hurt, and we need something uh, to help us get through that. But as far as finding doctors for, for prescribing it, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here, and I'm going to tell people it's not the doctors. Doctors have very little responsibility to their patient as long as they follow the protocol outlined for them from the CDC and the pharmaceutical companies. So the reason why doctors prescribe the things they do is because when they go through the book and they see the, the situation, it says prescribe this, they prescribe that. If they don't, if for instance, a patient comes in and they're having difficulty breathing and they're, you know, they have a really bad flu and the doctor says, you know what, let's try this ivermectin, zinc, acetaminophen, some aspirin, maybe some vitamin C, vitamin D and, and some uh, quinine and see how you do. Instead, they say, go home until you turn blue, come back to the hospital, we'll give you remdesivir, because that's what the book says. If the doctors don't do those things, they lose their license. Have you ever taken your car to the car dealership and there's something that needs to be fixed and they say, well, we can't fix that, we just replace it? They're parts changers. We don't have automotive technicians anymore, we have parts changers. We don't have doctors anymore, we have pharmaceutical administrators. So... The problem is much, much deeper than just doctors prescribing this. This goes back to regulating and legislating. Because if we allow outside organizations to dictate to us how to manage our health of, our, of, of Albertans, it doesn't mean anything what our doctors want. They can't do it anyway. Otherwise, they lose their license. And how many doctors do you see in the news now who have spoke up in ad advocacy for their patients and now have uh, their licenses threatened by the College of Physicians and Surgeons, right? It's a bureaucracy problem. It's not a government problem. It's, it's funny that 
you know, we always go back doctors, healthcare, that's the end of the story. Right. And then we talk about, well, my eyes, vision care, teeth, dental care, that's not covered. What about, but what mental about health care, mental health? What about a naturopath? Why isn't all of that stuff covered as well? And instead they're just pushing the doctors that push the pharmaceuticals. Because that's what the money is. Yeah. And homeopathic medicine and yeah. natural medicines yeah. don't financially benefit I know. many er, exactly. people. That's right. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if we started when we were young and taught our kids how to live healthy lives? Not that they're all going to make those choices when they're older because right. they have their own free will. But can you imagine if you instilled those things in your kids uh, when they were young and they grew up to be healthy adults with healthy lifestyles and how much money we'd be saving yeah. in our healthcare system. Yeah. Imagine if we didn't have to Things work like diabetes and 80 hours a week yeah. Yeah. to pay half of our income to the government. Yeah. Imagine if we could work Imagine. a regular yeah. work week and yeah. spend the time with our kids that we need to spend so we can pass on this generational information that's been lost in the last 30 years. Lost. I mean, I, I'm, I'm old enough that I, I'm old enough that I can remember and I'm young enough that I still remember my parents talking about home remedies that my great grandma used. Yeah, that's right. From this stuff is hundreds of years old and it worked. Mm -hmm. We've lost that because we don't have that time to spend with our families like we used to, yeah. um, to pass that information along. Yeah. Now let's just go to the doctor and yeah. get a pill. Don't let's, worry. It's not addictive. That's true. Let's answer a few more questions and even questions from the floor. And then I want to finish and have kind of throw uh, Vicky and have her. Is this where we throw her under the bus? Uh, no, no. Under the bus? Well, actually, we could. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. Is it jerks? Let me, yeah, I know. So what are we going to do about the homeless? Can we get legislation to open shelters? Well, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying that throwing money at this problem is necessarily the right thing to do. If we actually need more homeless shelters, then I guess that is something that the government has to help support, get the infrastructure there for. But rather than focusing on shelters, why aren't we fixing the core of the reason why people are homeless? Why aren't we trying to, you know, educate and help people get off their feet so that they can rent their own house, so they can own their own car, so they can actually have a future for themselves. You know, and this is the thing that I, 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 I think, you know, we don't look at the core of the problem. We're like, oh, there's a problem over there. Let's throw money at it and, and see if the problem goes away. Well, the problem is being exasper exasperated like so badly right now. I mean, we even have you know, people that lived in Calgary in the homeless shelters, they're actually busing them to Red Deer. They're busing them to Strathmore. They're, they're busing them to Strathmore. This is a nationwide yeah. problem. Yes. I saw the same yeah. thing in British Columbia. Yeah, and, and you know, I just think it's, you know, rather than, you know, ignoring the problem, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it head on. We have to find out what the mental health issues are. Make sure that, you know, people have the supports they need so they can get back into regular society. You know, so that they aren't shunned, so they don't feel shame. So, because I don't know very many people in this world that don't want to actually do a good day's work, earn a little bit of money, and be able to feed themselves. I mean, there's nothing that feels better than that to be able to be self reliant. And, you know, I, I've just, I've never seen that, that fail. 
how many or have you talked to any homeless people? I used to talk to homeless people almost every in day. In particular, in your campaign. Um, not in this campaign, no. No, I've only been campaigning for two weeks and not even really. So, so would you consider maybe talking to some homeless people and finding out, hey, what, what's going on? What do you need from the government? What, what do you need to help you get back on your feet? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if people want to talk. I mean, sometimes it's, uh, you know, I have no problem having the conversation with, with anybody. Um, I'm, I mean, when I work, yeah, I used to work like a convenience store and it was right downtown Calgary. And uh, my my day shift people were the, the suits and my nighttime were were taxi drivers, bus drivers, and, and a lot of homeless people. And, um, you know, we got to have lots of really interesting conversations and a lot of neat stories, you know, because you think, you know, people choose to be homeless. People don't choose to be homeless. And, and, and unless you actually have a conversation with them and see, you know, how they got to where they were, you'd be surprised at some of, some of the places people came from, um, before, you know, some either bad luck or, you know, um, some depression or whatever took over their lives to get them to that place. And, um, I definitely think those are the conversations we need to have directly with those citizens. So I, I like something you said there about dealing with the underlying issues, because it's not necessarily that people just become homeless. There's something that happens. And I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, I, I read a statistic. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the vast majority of homeless is mental health issues. And there used to be laws where the government could put homeless people with mental health, health issues as wards of the state, get them the treatment they needed, uh, get them integrated back in society and, and move on with it. That's been lost because of human rights. And how would you, as an MLA, what, what are some things that you would consider bringing to the table to help those people that are left behind by society? I mean, we saw the government give out $180 million or something to end homelessness in Alberta. And a couple of people got really, really rich by building a business on it. I don't think that's a solution. I think there has to be something more. What would you do? Well, I mean, you know what? There's some people that actually that are living in homeless shelters right now that mostly can be in regular society. They just need an opportunity. There's, there's going to be a portion that need a lot more counseling, a lot more addictions, help, things like that. So we need we need those facilities to help with, with those things. But there is a, a big majority of people that are homeless that are quite capable of working. They're personable. They just need a chance. And and how many people do we know personally that need employees, need people with skill sets, need people that to train? And I mean, I mean, we, we have a huge labor shortage here. The, all the baby, boom, baby boomers right now are retiring. Like, we have lost so much of our workforce, and we're going to continue to for the next you know, five to 10 years. And then all the baby boomers, all that experience is, is gone out of all of our industries unless they decide to work till they die, you know? And, um, so why not get those people into the training things? If we're going to give out any type of free education or free training, why wouldn't we start within our own community and give people the opportunity that they need so that they can build their own, build themselves and build their lives? Yes, we can we can just transition them into new green jobs. Not green. That was a joke. That, that was, was definitely okay. a joke. Yeah. I almost, yeah. I almost throw punched you. So. 
Uh, I'm going to jump to another question here. Can yeah. I just, I just want to, one yeah. more thought on that. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The question was, can we just put in legislation to open, open homeless shelters? Yes. I want to point another thing out. Communities can do that. Yes. We don't have yeah. to rely on government to do that. Yeah. A community can get together, yeah. they can hold events, and, they and can actually, raise money, and they can yeah. build homeless shelters. That was one of the questions themselves. I was going to say, is that we're talking about homeless, but is it... Well, and this is the thing, and this is the problem, and, and I agree with you, um, you know, because like I said, there's a lot of stigma, right? Like if you're homeless, there's a lot of stigma because they're like, you know, maybe you don't have the cleanest clothes or, you know, you're, you know, you're, you just have to live in a different way and you are stigmatized. And I think, like Chris had said earlier, we have to stop the stigma and actually, you know, give a hand up instead of a handout. You know, I mean, if I give you you know, anybody in this room, if I gave you $15 to go buy yourself supper for today, great. You have $15 for today, but what do you have tomorrow? You have, you have nothing. And, and, you know, so again, you're going to be waiting on someone else to help you when, you know, you're quite capable with the right opportunity. And I'm not saying people don't need help in this respect. And this is why I think training people and getting them into a profession that they're good at, that they have the aptitude for, and get them back into the workforce and help them succeed as opposed to just handing people money. I mean, that doesn't, you know, necessarily feel good. We all need a favor sometimes and we all, we all need that help and support. I wouldn't have made it in my youth without my parents, without my community, without people helping me. I mean, but at the same time, most of the time I was getting a hand up and not a handout. So this next question it kind of relates to that too. If we did go to separate, how would the people who are getting HCPP pension, what would happen to them? And I guess you could even say, so what would happen if, if people, you know, change, change jobs or basically were, were moved out of the, out of their current situation, what happens with those people? Well, they'd be still getting the same money that they have now. And if we were able to find improvements within those, those paid systems, and we felt that there was a need you know, and which there is. I mean, I, I know how much people on age and CPP and, and old age pension get. It's not enough to live on. And, you know, I think that's a shame too, because, you know, I mean, lots of people that, you know, get their CPP and then they also need the seniors benefit on top of that. Even that still not enough to live. It's a supplement, but you can barely feed yourselves and barely house yourselves on the, on that. Income. Housing is definitely the big thing. I think. You know, um, so, I mean, really, I think if we could collect those taxes here, nothing would change to what you're getting currently. You would get the same benefit and the same program until we could make those programs better and hopefully, possibly, and I think quite likely, more profitable so that people get more instead of less. So on that note, you got to remember, in the event that Alberta holds a successful referendum on independence, negotiations fail with the federal government uh, they don't give Alberta a better deal, and we do pursue independence and become an independent sovereign republic of Alberta. These things, it's not an on-off switch. No. It's not like one day this is Alberta within Canada, and the next day it's Alberta external of Canada. This is a process, and a lot of these things get dealt with. They could be dealt with right now, and they should be dealt with. Like Vicky said, all of the things that we have sovereign jurisdiction in within the current constitution we should be doing right now and it should be a, a path a clear path towards independence where we take we get all these things we manage them ourselves and we start working through it so that nobody's left behind nobody on aish wants to 
wonder if they're going to get their payment next month because you know now they're in a different country. Nobody uh, living on well, nobody can live on CPP, but nobody subsidizing their life with CPP can afford to not have CPP. And that's all things that any government that was focused on independence and pursuing independence would have to do in that time period uh, from when the switch is off to the switch is on, which is it's years. A lot of years. <laughs> I'll do this one more question here. Alberta pension plan. Did Danielle Smith not bring that up option up and everybody went ballistic on her for even daring to suggest such a thing? All these things sound very much like the UCP platform. Are you supporting the UCP on this then? I would absolutely support the UCP on any of these changes if they would push them forward. You know, the problem is, is we need strong leaders. And I'm not saying Danielle's not strong, but she needs support in that legislature to pass these to pass these legislation. So that's why you need to actually, you know, get new people, fresh bodies into that legislature that will stand up. I mean, if, if, if Daniel Smith's own party is going to criticize her and not help her make those, make those things happen, I would support her if she's going to take a path to, towards independence. Any step she wants to take that gets us closer to the goal that I want to see for this province, absolutely, I would support her. She's talked about her own police force. She's talked about, but a lot of it right now so far has been talk, and I want to see action. You know, and, and I want to be that person in legislature that pushes that action to ensure that none of these things that have been talked about fall off the table again. Because we've talked about these things over and over. This isn't the first thing, the first time these things have come up in our province. We have to get people in that legislature that will ensure and put the pressure on and be the vote that that person needs, that leader needs to get things done. So this, who is this? Joanne. Joanne, you are correct. Uh, Daniel Smith did bring up an Alberta pension plan and people did go ballistic, but the people that went ballistic are orange, not Trump orange. Yeah, They're like yeah. communist orange. What happened was they launched a propaganda campaign and they lied to Albertans and they said that if Alberta, Daniel, they said, Daniel Smith wants to take away your CPP. And that was a lie. What Daniel Smith wants to do and what the Independence Party want to do and what APP uh, advocates for is having an Alberta pension plan to replace the current Canada pension plan of which we overfund by $3 billion per year. Who in their right mind in Alberta wouldn't want our pension plan to be funded with an extra $3 billion. It's literally a no-brainer. So this comes down to education. There's a, a lot of education that needs to happen over the next, oh, what, two weeks? Yeah. yeah. So, that, Less, yeah. so that Albertans uh, can understand what the truth is, what reality is, and, and, and not just buy into this NDP propaganda my lab. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, yes, yeah. you're less NDP bullshit. propaganda bullshit that is steering Albertans down a wrong path. That's literally what's happening there. And again, um, it sounds like it's hard to read a tone in a message, but I'm getting the feeling that this comment is saying, well, are you supporting the UCP then? And as Vicky said before, and I asked you, if the UCP was putting forth good policy that was going to benefit Albertans and get us closer to what we need to be, you would support that. Why wouldn't I? Like you, this is yes. this isn't about 
you know, I joined the Independence Party because the Independence Party basically supports the idea that I want to push forward to Albertans. That's why I'm with a party. But I don't care what party does it. If the NDP all of a sudden did a 360-degree flip and did a headstand and said, you know, we want to go towards Alberta independence, I would support the NDP at that point. Oh, no. They're going to clip that now? <laughs> yeah. and, and the new radio... I support the NDP. I know. Says so she supports the NDP. The NDP. No, I'll talk I, over I, that. Blah, blah, blah. Only if they do a complete 360 and stand on their head and walk on their hands, then I will support them. So the moral of this story is that the NDP are not acrobats. They're not going to do that. Yeah. And just because one party is advocating for something does not mean that another party has to disagree with them. No, if right. it's to the benefit of Albertans, they should be able to work together to get it done. And that, and again, that is what I would like to be able to offer and bring into that legislature is that ability to work with the other existing MLAs, no matter who they are, no matter what party, no matter what their, their political stripe is. I mean, this for me is just a vehicle to get to the goal that I want to see happen for Alberta. Maybe, who knows, like, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people don't want freedom and maybe people don't want prosperity and maybe people don't want to run their own lives and maybe I'm completely off base. But I guess I'll find out, you know, as this party grows and as we get this message out and as the closer we get to independence, we'll find out how, how well people take to that new new self-accountability and that feeling of having money in your pocket again and we'll see how people feel then being prosperous what does that feel i don't know I'm have money kidding. no i'm i'm i shouldn't say that i'm actually very fortunate and very blessed um i just thought of a radio ad though well what's that okay i gotta get into character <laughs> alberta ndp Rachel Notley wants to give $3 billion of your pension to the federal government, of which you'll never return, you'll never get a penny in return. Rachel Notley is stealing $3 billion from Albertans. I like it, yeah. And it's true. It's very true. Very Absolutely. true. It's very true. Yeah. Maybe a little dramatic. She would, she would spin it backwards. You should do though. that. Oh, we yeah. should do, yes. That she would spin great. it back and say, Daniel Smith is uh, wanting to keep $3 billion here. <laughs> What would we do with all that money? Pensioners, how dare your government want to put more money in your pocket? You should... Oh, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I just, <laughs> it'd be something like should that. Should we yeah. go to some more questions here? I, uh, feel I like think it's... I think that's about it for questions, but uh, so I'm not quite sure. You ready to be thrown under the bus? Right, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. It. So He's you do have one? Okay. I've got a good one, too, but let's let's just hear from the audience here. When the Independence Party wins a few seats, can they and will they bring up a referendum for independence? Absolutely. That's our goal, right? Like, I mean, again, it, it's still a long process no matter what, like Chris said. But that is our ultimate goal is to have this referendum and give Albertans the choice. Just because you're having a referendum doesn't even mean it's going to be successful. And a lot of people are afraid, but I get, actually, you know, one thing I hear a lot is, oh, I really support independence, but we're not ready yet. I'm ready. You just said you were ready. Like, you know, it, the, the statement makes no sense to me. But yes, I mean, we would obviously be pushing um, for a referendum. Would we get it with, you know, three seats? You know, would we be able to put that pressure on? We can present, present it yeah. as much as we want. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, 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 and I do believe that there's even people within the UCP and, uh, and other parties, if they were in there that, you know, we could probably work with and possibly convince them or at least put the pressure on for them to do that. And if we can get the, the people behind us, this is the thing we have to get, this isn't just a government decision. We need you guys and we need your voices writing, calling, you know, whatever, when we're having these town halls, you know, we have to start, you know, really talking to our neighbors and talking to our family. And you guys have to help, help your, your elected representative push that as well. Because if they see enough voices and enough people wanting the same thing, guess what they do? Did you know that there's an organization in Alberta that's actually working towards the idea of Alberta independence? What? Really? And Where? they're even getting prepared by building a database of independence-minded Albertans that they could contact when it's referendum time. Did you know that? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Just is, go is, to it, Alberta, is it called the Alberta, Alberta Prosperity, Prosperity Com. Yes. So the reason I brought that up is because you made a very good point. Even if the Independence Party wins a couple seats in the legislature, uh, to get a referendum on the table of this... Magnitude, magnitude for sure yeah um would be very very difficult with nothing short of a majority government mm -hmm. the people however uh they we can do this at current we have something called citizens initiative referendum so basically it's legislation legislation that says if we can provide what's the number 600,000 it's for, for, 600, for anything in... that's constitutional oh, yes. yeah, in yeah. nature 600,000 signatures for anything that's regulatory is I guess it's about half it's that. A or, percentage, like it's a percentage. It's a percentage of, yeah. of voters, yeah. right? So we can do that right now. The, the bar is set so high that it probably wouldn't you happen. We need about $2 million in funding and like about 10,000 volunteers working every day for 60 and days. And you'd have to Minimum. do it within 90 days. Exactly. Yeah. So it's 60 a days, huge yeah. undertaking. Wow. But what we can do is we can push the government to change current legislation of the uh, Citizens Initiative or Referendum Initiative and lower the bar. So the premier has already said that she wants to do that. She wants to lower the bar so that it's something we can actually do. Because why shouldn't we be able to put a referendum on the table? Why shouldn't we be able to ask Albertans what their thought is on any issue? Like this also is a no brainer. This is direct democracy. And it's something that happens in countries all over the world. We don't do it here because I think the government is scared, <laughs> scared when the people get involved. But that can happen. So the reason I brought up the Alberta Prosperity Project is because there has to be a massive educational campaign to answer all these questions so that Albertans are on board with the idea and they stop being tricked by the propaganda they're hearing from the NDP. But it's something that the people have to do together. It's not a government thing. It's a people thing. So now I want to uh, switch gears just for a second here because... This, this is the question that I actually I'm surprised no one's actually asked this, although we were we were kind of swamped on the uh, the same question last night when we were talking about Catherine, which is why I kind of did this ramble at the very end if anybody watched it. So if you're still watching now, thank you so much. You could be outside in the smoke, but glad you're inside watching. Um, you were on the board of directors for the Independence Party. And again, you were there, had multiple jobs. And then you were sitting at the board when the option, maybe not, that's not the right term, but uh, motion. the motion came across to um, eject art 
from to cancel the leadership. His membership. Cancel his membership. So do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about what happened and maybe hopefully we can clear the air in this smoky outside. I, I think she can get out from under the bus. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, you know, well, I will start out by saying um, that at the end of the day, I think things worked out well for everybody involved. Art is happier. He's got a solidarity movement of Alberta. And, and I think that was, you know, kind of more the direction he always wanted to be. And the Independence Party is focused back on independence and the message that we really wanted to present. So um, I don't I don't even know how far really back to go because I mean, Art was elected in, in September as a leader of the party. And, you know, I it, it, it felt like at the time, you know, obviously we were celebrating, things were good. You know, even the first few events I even went to with Art, I mean, there was still a lot of talk about independence in a lot of what he was saying. And, you know, and, but there was a, there was a disconnect, I would say, pretty close to even, you know, after a month or two, there was a disconnect. I mean, Art didn't really participate in our board meetings. He was doing his own thing. And we understood that he had a church. We understood um, that he had other things to do. Um, but he really wasn't uh, present uh, for especially at the beginning, so it was like really hard to, you know, let him know what was going on even with us and and give him the messaging and whatever. And uh, in December, so I did start getting some feedback. I was the constituency association director, and I did start getting feedback um, from a lot of the members in our constituency associations and just saying. Where's the independence message? Like you're you're losing that, and they were upset by it, and so I started bringing that feedback back, and other members of the board were also hearing a lot of the same feedback, and so we were bringing that back, you know, to Art, and you know, really we we kind of just kind of got shoved off to the side. So, so how how was that received? Like when when you went to art and you said, Hey, look at, we're moving away from the message of the party. How, what was the reception like for that? Well, I mean, a lot of the communication, unfortunately, wasn't always direct, like from us to him, because like I said, he didn't really participate um, in the board meetings. I mean, obviously as the leader, he, he was, you know, should have been at those board meetings in, in my opinion. And that's actually part of his, his role. Um, but he didn't show up. And so we had, um, but he was really close with, with Bob. And um, so we'd be talking. And I, sometimes I directly talked uh, to Art. So there was one particular example. Um, he did a interview with an independent media company. And I got a text from one of our members saying, what the hell is this? He says, we want to be like Quebec and that we're not going for independence. You know, so the, I got that text. And so, you know... I did talk to Art about it. I talked to more so Bob about it because Art was busy and, you know, so a lot of times it, it just felt like I was dismissed a lot. Um, I felt the same, you know, at first talking to Bob and me and Bob are quite tight. And um, so I would, you know, and he seemed to be the one that was kind of like the in-between because they were doing all the traveling together 
And um, so we would talk and, and we just, we, you know, we, we thought, okay, well, maybe we just got to get our messaging straight so we can give a very clear message, um, not just to art, but to our CAs too, right? Our CAs really wanted to know what's our platform? What is the things that we're going to focus on? Because, you know, obviously we knew an election was coming up. So in December, there was a group of us. We all met for two, two days in Red Deer and we worked on, we went through our existing policy and really nailed out the points that we really wanted to hit in this election. And we came out with a platform and we thought, this is great. Now we actually have something solid, a solid message that we're going to try to put forward in January. So this was in December and um, we presented it, you know, to Art. And Bob, Bob was there helping us make it. Like Bob was in the room and he, he was helping us make this. And it was great. It was a really great collaborative weekend. Like it, it was really productive. And we actually had members there. It was a CA members there. We had, you know, board members there. I mean, it was, it was a really good weekend. And I thought really productive. And I thought, okay, great. Now we've got something solid. So January comes and, and we presented it and nothing was getting done. You know, like, you know, like the messaging that we as a board and even with our members developed was not getting out there. And the pushback that I, I got really hard was, well, that's up to the CAs. The CAs can give out the message. Well, people are looking at art. You know, he's the leader of the party. People were looking at him for what our message was. And people were really confused. Like, I, honestly, like there's a lot of things you always learn afterwards after things are done. But you know, when we started getting emails of people canceling their memberships because they were upset and things like that, they said, we joined this party because it was a Christian party. Well, that's how confused people were. And it's not that I don't believe in God. I do believe in God. I, I believe in Christian morality. I believe in the 10 commandments. Um, but we're not a Christian party. We're an independence party. That's, that's been our name since I joined this party. And that was the message we needed to get out. And, um, you know, there was a lot of things said afterwards saying that, um, we told him he couldn't talk about God. We were trying to stifle him that, um, we, we wouldn't let them talk about the WEF and the non-human agenda. And I was like, has anyone ever heard me speak? Like, <laughs> I mean, this, this was not, not true from any of the board members. There was, you know, a couple board members that made suggestions about toning it down on the religion. I'm not saying that no comments were ever made, but again, it was one board member. It wasn't the board telling him or trying to even directly. We knew who Art was when he was elected. We knew that he was a pastor, we knew he was going to bring that in. And and what we'd asked, even when I talked to him the couple times that, you know, we had conversations was, we're not telling you not to talk about God. We're not telling you not to call out the lies um, of, of the existing government or, or to hold these government people accountable, but take that story and pull it back to independence and then, and, and here's our platform. Like we have a platform. We So so why didn't you just bring this to art and resolve it? Well, why, why did you have to revoke his membership? Well, we, we, we did try to bring this to art. I even brought, I actually did a survey um, with the CAs. Um, I 
you know, just so I could, so he could see that it wasn't just the board. The board wasn't trying to get him out. The board wasn't against him. We just wanted to work with him. We, we did try. And I had put out a survey to the CAs. Um, most CAs participated, some didn't. Um, and just to get, and actually they were very benign questions. It wasn't specific to do you like what art's doing or not. It was, it was, what is the board doing well? What is the board not doing well? Um, they were very benign questions just to get feedback from the board and to see where the CAs needed to be supported more and, 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 the, and the struggles that they were having and the successes they were having so we could share those as well and help possibly other CAs. So it was a very benign survey in the sense of it wasn't directed um, to attack anyone. And it was, if anything, it was just for some constructive criticism, not just on art, but on ourselves too, to see what we were doing good at and what we weren't doing good at and how we could do better. So some of those comments that I talked about earlier came up, um, some of that pushback from the CAs, and I presented that at the board meeting, and basically I was told, well, they can go vote for the UCP then. And that one. Who said that? Art, Art said Art. that, sorry. Art said that. So after, okay, so in hindsight, would you agree with me that it was probably a bad idea to not involve the CAs in that particular decision? Um, it, well, like, was it that? I feel like well, well, I've had oh, feedback from CA, yeah, 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 CA yeah. folks, and they said, you know what, we're totally blindsided about this. No, we don't know how to deal. Actually, with Actually, right? so so if I could change anything about, you know, obviously when you're in it in the middle of it and you're stressed and, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to make people feel sorry for me or anything, but I don't cry very easy. And like that whole week leading up to what had happened, like on the Thursday, I got a call from Art saying, "Do you want me to resign?" And I meant it when I said it. I said no. I just want to figure out a way that we can all work together. And then I went to an event that weekend. I emceed one. And then in the morning, I just attended one of the earlier events he'd done. And he literally pointed at our sign and said, I don't work for these guys and I don't work for the board. And, you know, uh, it was like, it was like a punch in the gut. Like, honestly, I, like I, I could not quit crying <laughs> because I've worked so hard to try to keep, you know, things together. And that's what I do. And, and, you know, maybe like uh, probably to a fault, I try to keep, you know, you know, try to keep things positive and try to, you know, what, what was I told? I was told um, that people get sick of my kumbaya BS, but that's who I am. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, but, you know, anyway, Everything happened really quick. And yes, if I could change one thing, going back to sorry about your question, if I could change one thing, I I don't know if we could have brought in the CAs in prior to that decision, but I think once we made that decision, I think if I could change one thing, we would have had an emergency meeting prior to that press release and let them know what had happened and why it happened so that they were prepared for the onslaught of questions, for the onslaught of what the hell just happened, a bomb just went off. Um, if I could change anything, that would be the one thing I would definitely change. And again, when you're in it and you're, you know, I mean, and this is new for all of us. There's not a person on that old board or even our new board that 
has ever had to do this before, you know, and um, like I said, it was, uh, and, and, you know, going into that, that emergency meeting, Art was invited to that. I obviously didn't realize it was his birthday. I don't, none of us did that. Was that, was that day particularly picked because the board was trying to be vicious? No, no, none of us knew. I think, I don't know. I don't know what we would have done if we'd found out, like, we probably wouldn't have at least, we would have postponed it at least that meeting. Um, yeah, that was, so that was a little shocking. Actually, I felt yeah, really I, shitty I mean, about it, that. It was shocking for me too. And I mean, the optics was, was terrible. You, I'm sure you would agree the first, you know, reading his birthday post and then getting that, I was just like, Oh, I got punched in the gut. Oh my goodness. What the heck? Yeah. So the end result of this was, uh, two more board members stepped down, uh, and the board was removed in a vote of the AGM. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it seemed as though the new board was being uh, recommended so that they would reinstate Art. Now, what happened there? Did any, was there any? Did that happen? Was Art reinstated? No, no, Art was not reinstated. Um, so the so the new board, um, who were not in any kind of board position previous, upheld the decision of the previous board and continued to move along the path. That's right. And and I believe the people that were brought in on the board had really just signed up as directors at large. Yeah. Like no one had said, I'll, I'll become the, the president or I'll do secretary or treasurer or anything like that. They basically just wanted to be part of the board and here the entire board was removed. And then you have all these people that were like, what did I just sign up for? Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, the optics was, was it was bad. It was, it was poor optics. And it, it's, it's one of these things where unless people are educated as to the reasons behind mm-hmm. these things that happen, it's hard for them to understand. And I think as time goes on and people come to come to be aware of why this happened, you know, maybe they'll they'll understand. And, and you this, know what? There's going to be some people that, that don't no matter what. And I'm OK with that. Like, I mean, if I could go back and change my decision, would I know? Because we're in the in the direction that we need to be and arts in the direction he needs to be. I mean, people think, oh, well, now I must hate art or, or, you know, I don't like Bob or whatever, like that there's this big whatever, like, yeah, obviously art's not probably talking to me right now and Bob's not talking to me right now, but there's... Bob, Bob is. I talked to Art today. Yeah. Bob isn't talking to me, but I still tell people they should vote for him in cameras. Yeah. I mean, you know what? This is the, this is the thing is like, I, I'm not against Bob. I know they, they obviously, you know feel betrayed and and you know i'd probably feel the same way if i was in their shoes from their perspective you know but you know do i agree with what's happening to art in the courts would i go to bat for art when it comes to defending his right his constitutional rights absolutely i would never i would i would never turn my back on him um you know just over something you know big or small or however you want to rate that. But, you know, this is this is so minute in the big scheme of what's actually happening in this world. And we have to start focusing on on the big things. And we can't, you know, I, I mean, I'll talk about it, you know, this time and, and try to get this, I guess, my side of the story out. Um, and people will agree and people are still going to, some people are going to still hate me. I'm I'm okay with that because those people don't, know me personally they don't know my character and 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 so it is and and I like I said I have to be comfortable and be able to 
you know, look myself in the, in the mirror every day and, and I can still do that. So like I said, I don't, again, if, if you could go back in time, would there be things you would change? Yeah. There, there'd be lots of things I would change. Um, but you can't, and you have to move forward and we just have to take those experiences and learn and know how to do things better the next time. And even possibly improve, you know, certain things, maybe in our bylaws, maybe things in our policies so that things are cleared. Maybe the communication needed to be better. I'm not even saying this is all one-sided and this is all art's fault. I, you know, I don't, you know, there's certain things I can recognize early on that, you know, I wish, you know, we'd engaged him better right at, at the beginning. So maybe we were all working together right from, from the onset of him becoming leader, but that's not really, not really, I mean, to be honest, that's not really what happened. The board was working and he was working and it was, it was, um, it was very, it felt very disconnected. Um, and I think, I think that part's unfortunate, but it wasn't, it wasn't like tense or anything. It was just, it's just the way things were. And I said, like I said, there's always two sides to every story and there's always ways for both sides to improve. And, you know, I'm really happy for Art that he got his party status. I'm really happy that he has the opportunity to represent the things that he wants to represent that were more important to him. It's, it, you know, I'm not against him. So who's the new leader of the party? We have chosen at this point in time to not put an interim leader in place. We are going to have a leadership race, but I guarantee you that will not happen probably until the fall if we have, when we put on another leadership race. But, you know, right now it's been good, you know, because we're all leaders, you know, our CA presidents, our CA members, our, our, rep, our MLA contestants, our board members, they're all leaders in their own right and respect. And, and we, I just, I honestly actually kind of feel like we work better as a team that I was, way. I was going to say, even during the candidates meeting that we had last night, like everybody was talking, everybody had, all had questions and, and they were all, you know, they were supporting of everybody. And, but if you had a leader, you'd be looking just to that leader. And this way we're actually looking to everybody. So it's actually, a, it's a very interesting uh, party to be a part of at this point, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, one, a couple of the questions or a couple of the comments was, Chris never shuts up. He's always the guy talking. <laughs> okay, I paraphrase that. That's you're not what they welcome. Said. <laughs> but they did say I've been I've been listening for ten minutes, and that's all I've heard is Chris talk. <laughs> so the the point of this conversation is really about Vicky. Vicky is the candidate for the uh, Independence Party for Red Deer North, and that's why she asked us to to come up and and talk to her. However, however. See, I can't shut up. I know. This is also the Chris and Carrie show live with Vicki Bayford. That is true. Uh, that is, that's very true. So you could expect me to not shut up. And again, you're welcome. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure Chris and I will have, uh, Chris will rake me over the coals at uh, some point over the next week. And we'll probably have a little uh, uh, video about me and my MLA Candidacy. Your what? What? My blah? My what? blah. Yeah. Did, did you did you know he's running? I am running. And actually, running. people people didn't know that. Are you still running? You're running. Were you running from what? The cops? Always swarms people, uh, of yeah. uh, women chasing. You're just running from them. I thought you were going to say swarms of bees. <laughs> oh, that's worse. <laughs> yeah, people were actually asking yesterday. Uh, well, uh, is Carrie running? Yeah, it's yes, like Carrie's yeah, running. I am. I'm uh, Emily candidate. Emily can. Thanks, mom. 
Emily, a candidate for uh, Chester Strath. Speechless. Yes, I know exactly. Next week, and speaking of speeches, uh, next week I've got uh, quite a few things uh, uh, in terms of uh, discussions, and I've got a couple of debates, and I'm speaking in high schools, which will be very interesting. Let me tell you that to talk to kids about what's wow. going on in the world, and uh, maybe I'll get kicked out of the school. I, I haven't decided on that yet, but uh, it could be interesting. So it's going to get a detention, yeah, probably. Maybe, yeah. This isn't going to go into some weird detention teacher <laughs> thing, is it? No, it's not. No, no. I totally expect it. Anyway, so uh, I got a text from my son, Zach, today. Yes. And he says, Dad, what's the name of the organization that you do speaking events at? Oh. Is it the APP? Because I've taken him to it. That's few, right. He, yeah. he listens and he asks questions, which is great. And I, so I told him and he's like, oh, because the group is coming to talk to us at school. Really? And I thought, well, what's this group? Who's the group? And immediately I thought, oh. It's the orange group. They're going there to brainwash the kids, mm, aren't they? Yeah. But actually what's happening is, and I don't know if I agree with this or not, yeah. but the candidates in different areas are going around to high schools and even elementary schools, and they're making presentations to the kids. And then they're having these mock votes afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which yeah. it's kind of cool, but I don't know if it should be a campaign thing. I think it should be like a, a part from All the time thing. Well, I mean, kids aren't going to go and vote, mm -hmm. right? So, but they could influence their parents. They could influence yeah. their parents. I mean, I went home and I told my parents after I the, the environmentalist groups came and they did a play <laughs> and yeah. told me that my mother was killing me by using hairspray and destroying the ozone layer. That's I went home and I gave my mom crap <laughs> for the hairspray yeah. and the ozone layer. Yeah. And I got the red ladle. Yeah. yeah. I did. <laughs> so I influenced my mother. Mine was but always I only, the wooden spoon. Yeah. I influenced the rage of the red ladle for my mother. But anyway, yeah, so you're going to speak at a high school, and Zach was, uh, he had people come to his school and talk. But you know, yeah, the only I, candidate who wasn't there today? Who's that? Todd Lowen. Oh, really? You know why yeah. Todd wasn't there? Probably because he's, he's fighting fires. Yeah. He's fighting fires. There you go. Yeah. It's good that he's in that position right now. It is, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of good people around the province who are doing things like suspending their campaigns or uh, not operating their businesses. Or whatever to fight fires and uh on behalf of the chris and carrie show yes. i would like to say thank you to those folks thank you and uh, we wish you the best of luck because yeah it's i know it's in, starting uh, to hit closer to home now with this with the yeah, smoke in Strath, uh, strathmore and chestermere's chestermere sent um pallets of uh of equipment uh and and possibly possibly uh firefighters too i haven't that part hasn't confirmed but i know for for sure strathmore sent two firefighters and some pallets of equipment as well and they are ready to deploy more if needed so that's about all i can report on that so it seems like every municipality and, uh, and every fire station seems to be doing something or as as much as they possibly can right within their own budgets and restrictions as well did you know that as of the last well the last time i read the statistics the fire Causes were broken down something like 43% human error, yeah. including the controlled burns, 7% yeah. lightning, yeah. and 50% suspicious yeah, and under investigation. That's, that's ridiculous. Well, I, I actually thought I saw a report just like a day or two ago that a 19-year-old was arrested up that's there. That's right. Yes, she was. Yeah. Are you sure that was a recent one? Because I read one I thought was like that too, but yeah. it was from 2021. I should go double check. Mm, we can go. Double but it would be weird that it would just pop up. But you know, well, maybe not Facebook. so weird. It's yeah, Facebook, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, no, it was actually out of my news feed on my on my phone. Oh, 
interesting. Well, so maybe, I'll, maybe I'll double check. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, is, it is very suspicious. And uh, it seems to me that if I was if I was a climate alarmist and I wanted to prove that the earth was going to burn down by 2016 if we didn't stop driving cars yeah. and heating our homes, yeah. I, you know, that might be a good way to prove well, it. And I would definitely do it by oil sites where all oh, the big oil definitely. fields are. Yeah, or proposed major oil yeah. and gas developments. I've, I've said this a few times on the lives too, that, uh, that I do follow not only the right wing, if you want to call it that, but the left wing as well, because I like seeing what that part says. And there's one guy that's always, always, CBC told me this. And they are up in arms about this, and they're saying this actually just shows how the climate has changed. We need to stop stuff right now. We need to get this thing under control this year. Let's pull out all the stops. Let's do whatever it takes. And the only way to do that <laughs> is to stop using the very thing that is the single most important resource in fighting fires and managing climate-related disasters, which is... I, I was Oil just, and gas. Yeah. Yes. Does he know he's going to lose his phone if we don't have petroleum products? Yeah, uh, yeah. He pro he doesn't care because it's a sacrifice we have to make to prevent yeah. the earth from burning down by 2016. Yeah. And I'm sure that the the yeah. the battery, uh, Al Gore said 2016, remember 2016? back in 2008? If we don't stop now, the earth will be on fire by 2016. 2016. If we don't stop now, the Maldives will be underwater by 2022. So also, let's send them billions of dollars because we're making them go underwater. Well, the big not, thing when I was Atlantis. eight, I think, was uh, the rainforest. I don't know if you remember that. That's when we stopped oh, using yeah, the paper bags. Oh, for sure. They yeah. didn't even have rainforests when you were eight. They did. <laughs> and they said, we can't use paper bags anymore because we're killing all the trees. We can't chop wood anymore. So we can't use that resource. So we went to plastic bags and you weren't allowed to use paper bags anymore. And now all of a sudden we got paper bags again. And, but they, but they're crappy paper bags. The old paper bags were strong. Now it's like you get these ones that co-op and it's and like, they're 25 cents a piece. And all my groceries like rip out the bottom. Even worse, the beer store, when your beer falls out the bottom. Oh yeah. Right. yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we'll okay. we'll kind of wrap up, but I do want to give Vicky the floor for maybe two minutes, three minutes. What do you think? Should I just turn this off? Yeah, turn that off, please, because otherwise you'll interrupt. And let her finish off and um, and give some last minute thoughts, or maybe just wrap up. What like do whatever you want to do. It's your floor. As a matter of fact, Chris and I are going to leave for a minute. Change the world, okay. Vicky. Okay. All yeah, right. Good. Well, I just wanted to appreciate or say thank you to everyone who came down here today and supported me live. I want to support everyone that came on live um, to come and listen to what I had to say. Uh, you know, this is, this is a team effort and no matter what um, I couldn't do this without everyone that's in this room and every people, all those people online that support me. Uh, I want to be there for you and I want to be your voice. And I do believe that I could do a really good job in there. I've, I'm a quick learner. I mean, I, I'm always learning, and I think that's what we're always doing, I think, in life. And I really hope that you're not voting out of fear. I really hope that you're going to really vote for someone that you believe in. And I really hope um, that we can really make a difference in this next election because I I really do feel it's it's time for change. And 
regardless of the result, I'm still moving forward and I'm still going to find a way to get this done because that's what I do. I get shit done. That's what I've always done my whole life. I get on something and I don't stop until it's done. So um, if you want someone that's going to work hard and someone who is going to listen and represent you and answer your phone calls and is backed by amazing team of people. Cause again, I don't know if there's a MLA out there or any type of leader anywhere out there that can do this job by themselves. And so, Oh yeah, here we go. So elect Vicky for red deer North MLA. And uh, if you have any questions, if you, if you live in red deer North and you want a lawn sign, uh, you can actually contact me at vicky4mla.com. See, it's right there on my sign, vicky4mla.com. And you can request a sign. We'll drop it off or we'll meet you. Um, I'm also still looking for volunteers for scrutineers and door knocking, uh, phone calls, uh, whatever. Whatever you can give. If it's if it's 10 minutes of your time or an hour of your time, every little bit helps. Like, I mean, we were building the big sign frames for my bigger signs the other day. And there was eight of us, something like that. And we we got it done so fast, you know? So, I mean, this is a team effort and I'm not going to be able to get everything done myself. There's a lot of work, a lot of things I didn't even know that I didn't know when I got, when I even started running and um, I'm a lot wiser now than I was a week ago. So anyway, get involved in whatever way you can. I appreciate like, again, everything that's and all the help and support actually. Yeah. I'm not, I, I have to say thank you to these people that are, that are sitting in this room. I've had so much help and so much outreach and it just, it really does mean a lot. Like I said, regardless of the result, um, I, I just have not felt so supported and so loved and, other than Carrie, Carrie always gives me love and support. Love that guy. But um, true story. Um, but you know, uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, I am really thankful for all of you, and I and um, and I want to make you guys proud of this province again. I want to make you guys and your voices the most important thing uh, that goes into that legislature. So um, vote for me, May twenty ninth. Thanks. Very good, Vicky. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting Chris and I. And uh, I, I, we were told there was going to be beer. I was told there was going to be punch and pie. <laughs> punch and pie. We, we'll we'll have to go There's over fruit. that. There's some fruit and over cheese. there. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much for spending an evening with you with uh, all of us. Oh, there's yes, door prizes. Sorry, I oh, forgot about prize. the door That's, prizes. Well, yes. We definitely need to get door prizes. All those that that came and showed up and I didn't put my name out. in. Did okay. you put your name in? Twice. <laughs> okay, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm. I'm re actually really going to mix this up. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Why do they all have the same name? Yeah. <laughs> they all say Chris. Let me see. <gasps> B. Brasil. B. So B wins our door prize today. That's the. That's the hair products. Awesome. Right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yes, so we have a local a local hairstylist that uh, 
Oh, isn't that perfect? See, it was meant to be. So awesome. anyway, thank you guys so much for coming. And you guys have, oh, we have one more door prize. Oh, oh. that's right. Donate. That was donated by Chuck, right? Yes. So Chuck donated okay. um, a Do silver dollar. What's on it? What's on the silver dollar? Is it a truck? Oh. oh, it's old then. <laughs> All right. Okay. That is going to Donna Harding. There you go. Yay. <laughs> All right. All right. So I got to keep these. Once again, thank you so much for everybody. And uh, Chris and I will be back in the next day or two. I'm sure we'll we'll end up doing another live. He's looking that's at, what we do. He's looking and be like, what? Mm -hmm. what? We haven't planned that. We don't plan anything. Well, We're that's very true. As you can tell. Say. As you can tell. All right. Yes. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks. Yes. Have a Good great night. night. And with that, I'm just going to do that. Good night, everybody.